ghouls and fiends welcome once again to the ministry of horror my name is tez as per usual i'm hosting the show of all things horror and of course we're going to be talking about the huge horror franchise tuesday the 11th wait no friday the 13th yes yes uh to be honest the date thing well i mean friday the 14th is this week anyway the date thing is kind of inconsequential uh it was basically a big horror franchise that i've not yet really touched upon so far in the show's run seems kind of criminal and we are in spooky season right now so um of course what better time than now to talk about yeah that's right sometimes i remember to update the soundboard <laughs> i basically leave things literally till the last minute and it's a mad rush to uh Walk the dog, try and get in a quick shower, um, and then prep all the all the shit that I've not prepped yet for the show. But welcome, thank you for joining me live. If you're listening to this live on the MOS Network live on YouTube, if you're watching this after the fact, or if you're catching this on audio platforms, please be sure to like the stream, give the channel a subscribe if you haven't already, or a five star review on whatever audio platform you are listening to this on. It really does help. Memberships, we've got all that jazz, all the stuff I talk about every time we do the show. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I hope everyone's had a good week so far. Uh, we did the show, Ministry of Slam, on Friday. No, Friday. Mm. Sunday. Uh, that was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. It was a three-hour show, but it, it kind of flew by um, for both both myself and Lawrence. I had a lot of fun on that. I inadvertently wound him up by uh, bringing up a, a bit of uh, rock music news involving Falling in Reverse, who are wrestling-related. The singer is dating Soraya. That wound him up. I didn't intend to, but I just wanted his opinion, and <laughs> we got it. Um, and then, yeah, we talked about kind of a horror-related thing with the fiend Bray Wyatt returning. I haven't watched Raw. Um, I will kind. Of, I watched the the highlights. Uh, this is wrestling related. I watched the highlights on on YouTube. I have been paying for um, BT Sport, but yeah, it's for the. I only really watch football on it occasionally. I've watched less and less UFC because, I mean, Christ, it's, it gets to a Sunday morning, and there's like two three hours of prelims which half the time i don't watch and then a three hour fight night or event or whatever i never watch them all the way through because as soon as i start getting a dull fight my attention span starts waning so i've got fight pass for a year or probably for remaining uh 10 months or so so i'll just stick to that i've cancelled bt sport save myself 28 pounds a month which in uh in economic times like these guys it's useful useful to keep on board um Hey, chat. So we've got my name is not Earl, John Woodmus, Fran. Uh, we've got the Gruff. Gruff's here tonight. Um, hey, how's it going, guys? Uh, Gruff says, I love what Norwich gets on his soapbox. Uh, and uh, my name is not Earl. Brock Lesnar returned for the 800th time. Oh. I saw that the Good Brothers are back now as well, which I don't know. Maybe they could be all right. I definitely found that there was a lot of hype when they came in the first time. And I found the internet stuff they did kind of funny, but. They became quite dull for me, and whenever they appeared on what whatever I saw of Impact or you know um, AEW, I don't know if they were just phoning it in in comparison to before, but I, I thought they were kind of boring in my opinion. But you know, it's it's trips in charge, and they're signed with AJ again, so hopefully we get a proper a proper OC whatever it is. But anyway, enough wrestling talk. We're here to talk horror and as mentioned at the start we're talking about friday the 13th we have got a heck of a lot of films to go through we and i thought okay i'll try and keep the news and reviews brief so we don't have too many reviews tonight 
I've got a couple. I've opened up the news and there's 14 new horror films. So we are going to blitz through them a bit, uh, I feel. Uh, but we'll see how we get on. I'll just I've seen the chat is popping off what we got. Uh, the Gruff, I saw the DX bit from Raw. That would like to be the NWW I watched this year. Uh, Frank can weird as one is currently has a New Japan title. Oh, okay. Was that, I'm guessing, Carl Coral? Um, my name's like old Dull Brothers, more fitting. Uh, yeah, I agree. I, I do agree there. Um, yeah, just they seem to be kind of phoning in, it seems. But then again, I do remember I used to kind of like the talking shop when they appeared on uh, the Jericho podcast. When I used to listen to Jericho podcast, I always found them quite entertaining on there. And their stuff with Deep South Wrestling the first time around was very, very funny. So who knows? Maybe they'll be reinvigorated. I don't know. But they did talk a lot of trash when they left WWE, which always fun funny when they return, when someone returns like that. Anyway, let's just dive straight on into the uh, the horror news. Yeah. Understand? Well, there we go. I understand. So, and I'll just to save myself breath, say all of this news comes from bloodydisgusting.com. Uh, I'll drop this uh, link in the chat. This comes from John Squires. 14 new horror movies releasing this week, including Halloween Ends and The Return of Argento. So these are films coming out October 10th to 16th. There's another Hulu original horror movie that has arrived in the Halloween season, with Hulu unleashing the meme-based Grim Cutty to kick off the week's new releases just yesterday. In the new Hulu horror movie, a suburban teen girl and her little brother must stop a terrifying internet meme brought to life by the hysteria of their parents. John Ross directed Grim Cutty for Hulu's Huluween lineup this year. Um, I don't, I don't know what Grim Cutty is. It says it's based on a meme. Is the meme called Grim Cutty? Someone fill me in. That is uh, straight over my head. That. Hey, baby, Ice is here as well. How's it going? Oh, Ice House 7. Uh, next up, after... So I told you we are going to blitz through these. Um, after being released in limited theatres last month, Spirit Halloween the Movie was unleashed at home today, the horror film now available across all major VOD platforms. Uh, the film is the directorial debut of David Pogue and stars Christopher Lloyd, Rachel Lee Cook, Marla Gibbs, and a fantastic cast of up-and-coming talent including Donovan Colan, Marissa Reyes, Jane J. Smith, and Dylan Martin Frankel, many of whom making their big-screen debut. The film tells the story of three middle school friends who spend the night locked inside a spirit Halloween store, only to discover that the store is haunted. Uh, it features a wide range of animatronic characters and set pieces created by Spirit Halloween. We don't get Spirit Halloween in the UK, um, as in the store. It's a big all-year-round Halloween store, to my knowledge, but we don't have that in the UK. Um... Oh, Fran the Cannon says that Grim Cutty is on Disney Plus UK right now, yet Hellraiser isn't. Kind of seems like a crime, doesn't it? Hey, Meryl. Meryl in the chat. So, next up. Vernon Wells, Devani Pin, and Venus DeMilo Thomas star in the winter horror movie Frost, available on VOD today. Cleopatra Entertainment recently announced they had finished production on the horror movie, which was directed by Brandon Slagle, with the story by James Cullen Bresick and screenplay by Robert Thompson. The movie was filmed on location in the San Bernardino Mountains in Southern California during the winter of 2020. The film tells the story of a young woman and her estranged father who have to fight to survive after being stranded on a remote mountainside during a winter storm. Hmm, okay, okay. Interesting. Um, we 
Now this is interesting. So the next one. <laughs> uh, film prior to the ongoing pandemic. Director Sean Burkett returns to camp for the sequel Don't Fuck in the Woods 2, which is finally now available on digital today. Exclusively watch the Bloody Slasher sequel's Red Band trailer below. In the sequel to the 2016 slasher, the councillors of Pine Hill Summer Camp are getting the grounds ready for the upcoming summer season. While they set up, a mysterious girl enters the camp, terrified from a horrific night of bloodshed. Little do they know something in the woods is headed for the camp. Producer Chris Skurowski teases, It's still micro-budget horror, but you can tell the difference in quality compared to the first. The reason that's intrigued me is because there's discussions about releasing the first that I'm involved in. I'm not involved in the film, I should say, but in discussions. I'll say too much more, but um, wasn't expecting to see that title in here. Not saying anything negative. I've not watched the first, but uh, yeah, interesting. Interessant. Um, so next up, now this is interesting. I've not actually watched the trailer for this. Well, I saw a little teaser. Um, but horror master Dario Argento is back with his first movie in ten years, and Shudder will be the exclusive home of the giallo film Dark Glasses, beginning on Thursday, October thirteenth. The Italian title for the Rome set giallo is Occhiali Neri. Eliana Pastorelli stars as a prostitute blinded by a serial killer in a botched attack who takes in a young Chinese boy whose life has also been abruptly altered forever by the maniac's actions. He will become her ally in a terrifying struggle to see off the serial killer forever. Pastorelli is joined in the cast by big screen debutante uh, Andrea Zhang as the young boy, as well as Dario's daughter, of course, Asia Argento, in a supporting role. Argento is a horror titan, bringing 50 years of horror, including masterworks The Bird of the Crystal Plumage, Dead, Deep Red, Suspiria, Tenabre, Phen um, Phenomena, Inferno, and Opera. I've still never got around to watching Phenomena. Um, it's always available on streaming. No doubt when I eventually go to watch it, it won't be anymore, but um, I've still never got around to watching that. Uh, Bird of the Crystal Plumage, I was kind of disappointed by when I eventually got around to watching it. I found it kind of boring. Kind of in contrast, I guess, to the high expectations, because I really enjoyed Suspiria, of course, Deep Red, Tenebrae, which, um, which I've also got, uh, and then, you know, Inferno and Opera are decent. But, um, yeah, this does look like it could be potentially a big return to form. It looks like he's got a, an actual budget for a change. The last few films I have seen of his, I haven't seen all of his films. He's got a lot of them. But pretty much the ones from, like, the mid-90s onwards have kind of been really quite bad. Um, which is a shame because, you know, his a lot of his earlier work was incredible. So, potentially, this could be a huge return to form. Um, we shall see. We shall see. Oh. Uh, next up, we're just days away from the release of Halloween Ends on Peacock and in theatres, with the final film and David Gordon Green's sequel trilogy slashing our way on October 14th. The big selling point of Halloween Ends is that it's set to deliver the final battle between Jamie Lee Curtis's Laurie Strode and Michael Myers, with the promise that one of them probably won't be surviving. It's kind of obvious. Place your bets and don't miss it at home and in theatres. I won't go through the plot synopsis. Uh, we've We've gone through it a few times. Uh, we've gone through it a few times. So Nick Castle, the original Michael Myers, had recently noted that Halloween Ends will have a surprising conclusion to David Gordon Green's trilogy, while makeup effects artist Chris Nelson similarly teased that the third installment in the trilogy is weird and different. And John Carpenter has also called the new movie a departure in a recent interview. 
Halloween Ends will also feature the return of Will Patton as Officer Frank Hawkins, Carl Richards as Lindsay Wallace, and James Jude Courtney as the shape Michael Myers. Um, hey, Ella, uh, Eddie Hickey in the chat. How's it going? And um, I don't know if I mentioned it as well. I noticed uh, Lawrence is there as well. Hey, dude. Um, so, obviously, I've mentioned before my expectations are kind of lowered because I don't think I, th I thought Kills was pretty disappointing. Um, it's also it's hard to really digest when people close to it. I mean, look, Jamie Lee Curtis has been harping on about how this great this is, but she's kind of done that with every film, every Halloween film she's been in. You know, she's great, but you know, take it with a pinch of salt. Of course, they're going to champion it, but when so Nick Castle says it's got a surprising conclusion. Uh, Make effects artist has said it's weird and different, and John Carpenter has called it a departure. It's interesting because none of these words are saying it's incredible. This is the they feel this is the best. No one's putting their names from this this little blurb to say this is the the best Halloween sequel ever. This is you know best best since the first, better than the first, anything like that, which. Maybe they're trying to dampen expectations. Maybe because, you know, the, the, the response to Kills was a lot more mixed than 2018. I don't know. Don't know. But I will potentially be watching it this weekend, so you'll potentially be getting a review on next week's show. Um, oh, gruff. Uh, yeah, you know my reviews will be spoiler-free um, when, we, when, we, uh, when we get to it. So hopefully I'll have a review next week. Um... I may, if if I have a, a a particular opinion of it, Gruff, I may just say, you know, earplugs for five minutes, and just so it doesn't affect your viewing at a, at all of the film. Uh, my name is not Earl. I'm looking forward to Halloween Ends ending. Um, yeah, it'll we'll be interesting to see how it goes. I'm I'm just hoping that it's up to kind of the level of 2018, which I did think was really good. Um, and like I said, kills really cool deaths in it, shot brilliantly, but I just uh, it just seems like Michael Myers has become Jason, which is, you know, apropos. We're going to be talking about Jason later on. Anyway, Piggy. After premiering at the Sundance last year, the horror film Piggy is now headed home from Magnet Releasing, available on digital beginning this Friday. In the Spanish horror film from writer-director Carlota Parida, with the summer sun beating down on her rural Spanish town, Sarah hides away in her parents' butcher shop. A teenager whose excess weight makes her the target of incessant bullying, she flees a clique of capricious girls who torment her at the town pool, only to stumble upon them being brutally kidnapped by a stranger who drives off with them in his van. When the police begin asking questions, Sarah keeps quiet. Intrigued by the stranger, an interest that's mutual, she's torn between revealing the truth and protecting the man who saved her. Laura Galan stars as Piggy. Um, I've heard, I've heard bits and bobs of this film. Um... Okay, interesting, interesting. We shall see. Uh, so, coming up next, Netflix is celebrating Halloween with The Curse of Bridge Hollow, which looks to be this year's Hubie Halloween and deliver spooky fun for the whole family on the road to the big day. I'm going to be... <laughs> I'm probably going to be alone in this. I was very surprised that I actually quite enjoyed Hubie Halloween. I'm not really a big Adam Sandler fan. I like some of his films, but I've never been a huge Adam Sandler fan. I don't... I mean... Sometimes the voices he does, I'm thinking, does anyone find that funny? Like, there was that film, That's My Boy, when he's the teenager that hooks up with a teacher and gets her pregnant, and he hasn't ever grown up. Um, the voice in that, I was just thinking, what's the purpose of this voice? I don't know, I don't know. Sometimes the Adam Sandler voice, I just think, 
Anyone find that funny? It's just me. I don't know. But it's Hubie Halloween. I don't know for whatever reason. I actually thought it was it was all right. It was dumb fun. Um, but apparently it's terrible. So. <laughs> Um, directed by Jeff Wadlow, to Truth or Dare, The Curse of Bridge Hollow arrives on October 14th. There's an official trailer in the link. Uh, in the film, a father, played by Marlon Wayans of Scary Movie, uh, and his teenage daughter, Pryor Ferguson of Strange Things, are forced to team up and save their town after an ancient and mischievous spirit causes Halloween decorations to come to life and wreak havoc. Uh, probably won't be watching that. Um, uh... Fresh off the film's premiere at South by Southwest, the slasher movie Bitch Ass was acquired by Quiver Distribution, and the label will be releasing the film at home beginning this Friday. Following an enthusiastic re reception at South by Southwest, we look forward to bringing Bitch Ass to horror fans across America who will undoubtedly appreciate the mix of comedy and thrills Bill Posley brings to this unique genre film, said Quiver's Barry Mayoritz and Jeff Sackman. If you've ever wanted to see Tony Todd play a crypt keeper-like horror host, Bitch ass has got you covered in that department. Um, in 1999, a gang initiation goes wrong when recruits break into the deadly game house of cinema's first black master serial killer. Think Don't Breathe meets Squid Games, but black. And that's the blurb that uh, that is on uh, bulldiscussion.com. Uh, interesting, interesting. Okay, yeah, okay. I mean, it's Tony Todd. I like Tony Todd. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll give it a go. And I like the film title as well, Bitch Ass. Hey, you bitch ass. Um, next up, in the wake of last year's Willy Wonderland, Kevin Lewis is back with The Accursed. Uh, Willy's Wonderland, sorry. I guess that's the Nick Cage film. Um, so The Accursed, starring Mina Savari and set for release in theatres and on various VOD platforms on Friday. Lewis recently told Blood Disgusting, the film's inspired by great true horror gems like Rosemary's Baby, the Omen, and The Changeling. Where Willy's Wonderland was a salute to the 80s, this is my love letter to vintage horror from the 70s. In the film, Ellie, played by Sarah Gray, is asked by a family friend, Min Savari, to spend a few days looking after an elderly woman, Meg Foster, uh, living in a remote cabin. She readily agrees, thinking a short trip to the woods would be a nice escape. The cabin turns out to be anything but relaxing as Ellie begins hallucinating in ways that blur reality with her dreams. As the visions take over, Ellie realises she was lured there by a demonic presence hiding inside of the woman just waiting to break free. Okay. There is a trailer. I've not seen the trailer, but... Uh, sounds interesting. Sounds interesting. Uh, let's have a quick look at the chat before we continue on. We've still got a few more films to look at. Um, so, Baby Ice says, Laurie is the heel about Halloween. Uh, my name is Noel. I'm looking forward to Halloween Ends Ending. Um, the Hubie Halloween trailer was enough for me. He says, my name is not Earl. Uh, Eddie, he says, it sounds like Goosebumps. Uh, the, the gruff Willy Wonderland sounds like something different. Uh, Eddie Hickey, does that mean Willy Wonka is a villain? Amina Savari, what is this, the early noughties? says, my name is not Earl. <laughs> she did do a horror series, which is Eli Roth related, that wasn't terrible. South of, South of Hell, I think it's called. Alright, it wasn't memorable, but it's alright. Um, I think it came around the same time as the first season of Slasher, from memory. I'm, I'm eventually getting around to watching Slasher Season 2 on Netflix. I seem to watch an episode every six months or so. Um, it is good. Like I really enjoyed the Slasher Flesh and Blood on Shudder. And the first season of Slasher is decent. Um, but I've heard the third one's meant to be good, so I've just got to get through the second one. <laughs> 
Uh, next up, Lucky McGee, who did May, as we mentioned before on Homework, is back with brand new horror movie Old Man, starring Stephen Lang, coming to theatres and digital platforms on October 14th. Old Man unfolds as a lost hiker stumbles upon an erratic old man living in the woods. That chance encounter triggers an unimaginable nightmare. Mark Center, Liana Wright Mark, Patch Daraha co-star. Joel Veach wrote the script for Old Man. Um, Aaron B. Kuntz, The Pale Door, Cameron Burns, Scare Package, and Ashley Sneed, The Block Island Sound, produced for Paper Street. I mean, I like May. I've not really watched many other Lucky McGee films, but um, Stephen Lang's decent. I've only seen him in a handful, handful of films, and they've all been pretty good, so... Okay. Okay. Oh, still got fucking quite a few to go through. <laughs> uh, so coming up next, Park Chan-wook, the master filmmaker behind Old Boy, Thirst, and Stoker, is back with a new thriller, Decision to Leave, releasing in the US theatres on Friday, October 14th. Uh, in the South Korean thriller, a police detective, Hai Jun, is called in to investigate the mysterious death of a man who fell from a mountain peak. During his investigation, he begins to develop an interest in the man's widow, Ciel Ray, who is a suspect in the case. Okay, I do like a good uh, good thriller, good whodunit. Uh, so what have we got next? This year's Terror on Shubi celebration continues with Tubi original horror, The Final Rose, officially launching exclusively on Tubi's service beginning Friday. A young single mother arrives on a remote island to compete on The Final Rose, TV's number one dating show, and discovers that a killer is slaying the contestants one by one. Uh, Christina Masterson stars alongside Brittany Underwood, uh, Brittany Sarpy, Kyla, Kyla Nova, Carrie Wampler, Robert Adamson, Roger Howarth, Brian McGovern, uh, Robert Palmer Watkins, Taylor Foster, and Sarah Nicole Robles. I mean, a lot of these people seem to be from One Life to Live, The Young and the Restless, General Hospital, Rules of Engagement. Are they all American soap operas? It kind of sound like it. But oh, here we go. Finally. And I, was, I don't know about the film, but just because it's the final new film. It's been half an hour just talking about the new films. Uh, finally, the horror comedy Some Like It Rare from director Fabrice Eboué targets vegan activists this week. Film released at home beginning this Friday, October 14th. In the film, butchers Vincent and Sophie's business is going under and their relationship is on the rocks. But their lives are changed forever when Vincent accidentally kills a vegan activist vandalising their store. To get rid of the corpse, he butchers the body and Sophie accidentally sells the meat. Never has their product been more successful with their customers to the extent they just might be tempted to kill again. So yeah, I think this maybe Fran uh, said in the chat. Um, basically K-Shop. Kind of sounds a bit similar to K-Shop. Slightly different setup, but you know, the accidental death and selling the, the meat and it becoming popular. Yeah, yeah. But there we go. They're, they're the 14 new horror films releasing this week. Uh, so don't ever say that there's nothing uh, nothing new that gets released. Well, I mean, in the UK, we seem to half, half, half the time get bugger all new. But uh, hey, <laughs> we don't have 2B as far as I know. And we don't have uh, Hulu, as we'll get to a bit later on. Um, but yeah, check those out. Let's have a quick look at the chat. So... Um, the Gruff, I rewatched Misery the other day. Love that film. Kathy Bates is so good. Yes, she is. Yeah, it's an excellent film. Um, Fran the Can, the trailer for Megan with a three. Um, I saw today was Creepy, another creepy robot toy. My name is not Earl. Um, you can't go wrong with Misery. And Hickey, never heard of any of them. And Fran the Can, a lot of these are US soaps. So let's 
blitz through. We've got to blitz through uh, the rest of the new news. So, quite disgusting, John Squires. Scott Derrickson's The Gorge. Anna Taylor, um, Anya Taylor-Joy joins the cast. Up next from Sinister, the Black Phone Doctor Strange director Scott Derrickson is the gorge for Skydance, and Deadline reports that Anya Taylor-Joy um, will star alongside Miles Teller. The Gorge is said to be an action love story with genre-bending elements, and Deadline additionally reports that their Apple original films has also come on board the project. Plot details at this time are completely under wraps. Stay tuned. Miles Teller's sector executive produced in addition to starring. Okay, uh, I don't know why this reminded me, but yesterday I I saw the trailer for the new, um, God, Neil Neil Marshall, I think it's Neil Marshall, um, film. The guy who did the Descent and Dog Soldiers. And it's called Lair. Oh man, hmm. We haven't had it in the news yet. Um, but oh, I thought, ooh, this looks a bit cheap in comparison to some of the other films i've seen of his um i haven't seen all of his films but yeah I, i'd heard a lot of buzz that oh it's like a return to dog soldiers but it did not look like that to me could just been the trailer you know but that's besides the point we're talking about the gorge here so yeah annie taylor joy has joined the cast next um kind of adjacent to last week's news uh, last week's main show, that is. Heather Langenkamp wants to fight Freddy one last time in an Elm Street legacy sequel. Heather Langenkamp is back in Netflix and Mike Flanagan's The Midnight Club, and with the series now streaming, Entertainment Tonight had a chat with the horror icon this week. I've got that on my to-watch list. I've got um, Mr. Harrigan's phone to watch. Oh, God. Um, naturally, the conversation eventually hit upon Langenkamp's iconic role in the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, and it's a role the actress would still love to return to. If Nancy could fight Freddy one last time, I'd really like that, she tells Entertainment Tonight. Gosh, I'd love to see a future in that. I've been really watching the Halloween saga that's been out, and I love watching Jamie Lee Curtis set, get to play that part. Um, you know, at this age, where I think we have so much to give to these storylines, but yeah, um, I wish I was in control of that, but unfortunately it's one of those Hollywood very complicated things. Iconic final girls, including Laurie Strode, Sidney Prescott, and even Sally Hardesty, have been brought back to the screen for legacy sequels in recent years, and seeing Nancy Thompson one final time would seem to be a natural response to that trend. Nancy was of course killed off in Dream Warriors back in the 1980s, but death never stopped Laurie Strode. The big question of course is whether or not Robert Englund would agree to play Freddy Krueger again. In recent years, England has made it pretty clear that he feels his days of donning the burn mark makeup are probably behind him. But we've learned to never say never when it comes to stuff like this. Would you like to see one final battle between Freddy and Nancy? Or would you rather the Elm Street franchise return with a fresh approach? What do we think? So we've got a couple of mentions here. Um, Fran the Cannon, trailer for The Lair, gave my, me Frankenstein's Army Overlord vibes. Yeah, okay, okay I can see that. Um... Anya Taylor was great in Split. My name is not Elsa's. Yep. Um, Eddie Hickey, I'm going to act in the future, Tez. Any theme you want to see me in? Gotta be horror. Gotta be horror, Eddie. Um, it's got to be. Uh, my name is not Elsa. Nancy's Revenge. And Fran Cannon, Nancy's Nightmare. So, would we want to see Nancy back against Robert Englund? Or do we want a fresh approach? Now, I said last week... I kind of feel, as much as I like Robert Englund, and I think he is, he is Freddy, um, he's in his, his 75 now, 
And the Freddy role has always been very active. Um, I'm sure he could still do it. But I can't see him running around with the glove and everything. And I think it would look odd if it was jumping from one person running around to then him on static shots. Or, I mean, I don't know how mobile he is. Maybe he's still really spry. But I didn't want it to feel cheap if he was to return. Um, so I did kind of feel like I'd love to see another Nightmare film, something to erase the remake, which I thought was terrible. Um, but because of him being such an iconic killer in films and him being a very vocal killer in films it's difficult it's not like uh, michael jason leatherface where you can just chuck another stuntman in the mask and it, it, it can work i don't know tough one what do we think guys jump in the chat um my name is not earl i'd do anything to see another robert england freddie movie well there we go my name is not earl wants uh, robert england back so let's move on some Marvel horror news. Marvel's Blade movie has been put on pause and won't make November 2023 release date. From John Squire's Blood Disgusting. The next phase of the Marvel Cinematic Universe will bring Blade into the mix with a brand new reboot. And Oscar winner um, Mahashala Ali has taken over the vampire slaying role. Marvel are planned to begin shooting the Blade this November for release in theatres on November 3rd, 2023. But as was recently learned, those plans have unfortunately changed. Director Bassam Tariq ex exited the project as director early this month, and THR reports this afternoon that Marvel has now put the entire production on pause. Uh, they report, in the wake of parting ways with director Bassam Tariq two weeks ago, the studio is pressing pause on the vampire adventure thriller that is set to star Oscar winner um, Ma Mahashala Ali. Marvel is temporarily shutting down production-related activities in Atlanta, where the project was to have shot uh, starting in November, while it conducts a search for a filmmaker and th further develops it. The studio is hoping to restart the production in early 2023. It will now release in theatres on September 6th, 2024. Hmm. Are we, uh, are we hyped for a new Blade film? Eddie Hickey, I can't wait for Blade. Brandon Cannon, what if, uh, talking about Freddy, what if her soul's been trapped ever since she was killed and she has to reach out from that realm to a new set of teens? That could work. That could work. I'd rather they, they didn't ignore the sequels because I do quite like a few of the sequels. I mean, I liked it with, Hallow with, um, with Halloween and the sequels. So, I mean, I, I didn't mind the some of the splitting of the timelines just to make things a bit easier, but I don't think they necessarily need to make things easier with the Friday films. I don't know. We shall see. We shall see. So, last bit of news. Sorry, I'll have a quick hot conversation. Uh, Night Dive's System Shock remake, so this is video game news, looks and sounds good, but the question that's constantly being asked and hasn't been answered is just when it will be released. Um... <laughs> H2O. Um, Night Diver said that uh, we'd be able to enter the Citadel Station sometime this year, but according to the game's listing on Steam, that might not be the case. Spotted by Wario64, System Shock's Steam page now lists the game as releasing in March 2023. Obviously, things can and do change, but this is already more specific than a nebulous 2022 release date. Furthermore, despite Night Dive saying that the game would see a 2022 release, the Gamescom trailer never did mention that date. The last time 2022 was mentioned was when Night Dive announced they had teamed with publisher Prime Matter for distribution, but that was back in December. 
If System Shock does release in March, it'd have some big competition in the Resident Evil 4 remake, which is set to arrive on March 24th on PC and consoles. And for a game that's been in the works for since 2015, going up against Capcom's beloved Resident Evil series is certainly a big risk to take. You can pre-order it now for PC via Steam, GOG, and the Epic Game Store, and it will be releasing on PlayStation 5, PlayStation 4, Xbox Series, and the Xbox One. I don't... I, I always hear about System Shock and it being an excellent horror game, but I never... never played it. Never played it. Um, and it's one of those games that when I did, by the time I had heard about it, it looked fairly old. So I thought, oh, if I jump into this now, I'm probably not going to get the same experience. As much as I grew up with games, you know, like Half-Life and Half-Life 2 and all that stuff, I do find when I get used to modern graphics, I don't find it so easy as, as others to to jump back into previous generation graphic types and still enjoy it. Um, hmm. Hmm. So, any System Shock fans, let me know in the chat. We're now going to get on to, and this will give me a chance to have uh, another Honkamaru vape, the reviews for the week. <coughs> Raw indeed. Uh, Gruff in the chat, I've never played System Shock either, but a friend of mine loved it. Uh, Eddie Hickey, I know I've not been here long, but I have to go. Uh, bye. Bye, Eddie. Thanks for jumping by. Have a good evening. So the first film that we've got in today's reviews is the weirdly not yet available in the UK, so I don't understand what's going on with that. Similar to The Monsters, but I'd say this one probably is a bit more anticipated. And that is Hellraiser from uh, from Hulu. Now, previously Hulu films in the UK have come out on Disney+, Plus, such as Prey. Um, but we haven't really heard anything yet uh, about this. So I was able to acquire a uh, a, a review copy and um and finally was able to watch it uh friday i think i watched it yeah so this is 2022 american fantasy horror film directed by david bruckner with a screenplay by ben collins and luke piotrowski from a screen story they co-wrote with david s goyer despite sharing the title of clive barker's original 87 film hellraise the film features a new story and is not a direct remake or a new adaptation of the 1986 novella The Hellbound Heart. It is a reboot of the titular franchise in the 11th instalment overall. A co-production between Splygast Media and Phantom 4 Films, the film stars Odessa Azion, James, Jamie Clayton, uh, Brandon Flynn, Goran Viznich, Drew Starkey, Adam Faison, Aofi uh, Hins, Selena Lowe, and Hayam Abbas. So, what to, what to say about this film? I mean, in a nutshell... Um, it involves this. We we open the film with this kind of hedonistic party at this enormous house. Um, the guy who plays Vecna from Stranger Things uh, gets led into another room when he's tasked with solving this puzzle. And as opposed to the Le Monchard configuration, the box is in a different state. It's like in an oblong. And what they say in this film, as opposed to previous films where it's just a case of solve the box and you bring forth the Cenobites or solve the box and you send them away, it's never really been that clear on exactly how the box works and different stages. But with this film, we do kind of find out a bit more about the implications of those stages. 
the different shapes it goes into and what they can kind of mean and the purpose for these different stages we essentially establish that the box has a number of steps and through certain steps the box will draw blood and whoever it draws blood from they are a sacrifice but if not them they have to nominate someone else sort of thing um and uh, the box ends up in the hands through certain means of our main character who is a recovering addict she's had a real sort of tough time um issues with with her brother because of her ways and he's been trying to help her but here's the end of his tether and unwittingly she opens up this box so and that's kind of all i'll talk about the story because i do think people should give it a watch do I think this is a good film? Oh, I think it's decent. I think it's decent. It's high budget um, uh, Hellraiser in comparison to the majority of the films in this franchise. I'd say it's easily one of the best Hellraiser films. I'm not saying it's one of the best horror films because the Hellraiser series isn't something I've ever been tied too closely to. I think the second film is good. It's pretty grisly which I guess you could say with a lot of horror. Um, but the second film, I would say, has always sort of been my favourite in the in the franchise because it's kind of upped the ante a bit from the first film. And to be honest, the third film I never used to like because I always thought, oh, the first two are very British productions or seem that way, and this seems like the LA Hollywood version. But actually, the third film has grown on me quite a bit. I've watched it a couple of times now, and I do actually quite enjoy it. It's It's kind of the tipping point when they went from these british-based horrors to dimension horrors i say dimension because you you got this certain feel with dimension miramax films like the scream films like more of the teen films and we certainly saw it with a lot of the later sequels from hellraiser where they just had that feel of mtv i guess i guess is the easy way that i could say um so we've obviously got a new hell priest here you know pinhead Played by Jamie Clayton. Um, this has had some some news. Some some people have gone, oh god, if it's not Doug Bradley. I don't care. I'm not that fast. Doug Bradley was was excellent, but again, Hellraiser's not really my franchise. It's not something I've been tied too close to. Um, I never saw the first Hellraiser that didn't have Doug Bradley, but I remember seeing pictures and thinking that looks awful and apparently it's an awful film i think it's called revelations that apparently is terrible he looked awful from the pictures and i've just heard bad things about it but the guy who played pinhead in judgment i thought judgment surprised me because yes it's very very low budget but it did seem to be trying to do something different and so i i didn't mind judgment i thought the guy playing pinhead in it, 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 it was fine it was fine um you know pinhead just has this voice modulated voice very stoic it's not so much like a freddy where you have to have that element of humor or um high energy so i was fine with it i i and uh with this one we've got jamie clayton i think she does a great job i think she does a great job very creepy there's moments with some of these cenobites that are generally quite quite creepy quite unsettling the chatterer chatterer's back or a new version of the chatterer um a, a version of i guess the hell priestess i don't i don't know all of their names i know the original there was like the priestess or whatever the chatter and butterball i think were the main ones 
along with Pinhead. But we start to see the world changing. It does feel quite... It has that kind of tone in moments of the first and the second, where, you know, the, the change of the realms, but obviously now with a bit of money behind it, a bit more budget. The deaths are... The deaths are fairly grisly, but not gratuitous. You could probably say for the most part, maybe the first and second were were gorier. Um, not to say that this isn't gory, but certainly some of the, the deaths and uh, tortures, because the whole thing with the Cenobites is their, their version of pleasure is a lot different to most humans. It's this mixture of pain and pleasure, but uh, one person who thinks he has found salvation through the Cenobites is left in such a torturous state with this mechanism attached to him i won't say too much more but it's uh he 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 decides that okay well i i misunderstood them i misunderstood their intentions this is not what i asked for um but yeah it, it's it's a fairly long film two hours got some good deaths in it story goes along well it's got some good acting in it um i thought the ending set piece it's interesting kind of understanding the rules because in some instances when the Cenobites are in our world they can just appear wherever but in other instances th there's a house that kind of works as a bit of a prison to a degree um, but outside of that there's moments where it's just like well couldn't they just appear instead of just slowly chasing after them I don't know that's if you wanted to critique things and ask some logic but we are dealing with de denizens of hell essentially um, we do see no, that might be a bit of a spoiler there's things in this that do connect to the greater mythology and add mythology to the story and I think they are very interesting very interesting and they use this concept and they really work upon it quite well it's, it is high concept they don't try and shy away from things in this um, no, no gerbils are involved baby eyes, don't worry uh, but yeah, I, I would say give it a watch when you can. If you're in America, you've got it now. In the UK, who knows? Get a VPN, I'd just say. Um, I, I tried a VPN before. I couldn't work it. I'm just a dumbass, obviously. Um, but do I think this is a great horror film? Hmm. That's the question. That's what we're doing on here. We're not rating it as a Hellraiser film. We're rating it on my scale of 1 to 10 of horrors. Um... I'd kind of feel that I felt on par for this in terms of similar to Smile, where I thought it was good, but I didn't think it was outstanding. And whether that is because, I don't know, I don't know. I don't know, I thought this was decent, it was good. I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10. I think a 6 out of 10 is a bit too harsh. Because there's really not really too many negatives. Um, I thought the finale was cool. Um, the story worked for me. I like that they tried to add some um, bit more spice to the story and kind of give it a bit more logic. Because there's always a bit of uh, fast and loose with, with the logic in, in, in the prior, prior films. But yeah, 7 out of 10 is what I would give to Hal Razor. So, next up on the reviews, we have... A short film... Short long film, long short film, the Disney Plus uh, television special, Werewolf by Night, um, directed by Michael Giacchino, written by Heather Quinn and Peter Cameron for the streaming service Disney Plus. 
based on the Marvel comics featuring the character of the same name. Uh, so I'm not familiar with Wealth by Night at all. Um, I think it's only been in kind of two two books. I don't really think it's had a huge history, to my knowledge. Um, but yeah, so this is... It's the first Marvel Studios special presentation in the MCU, sharing continuity with the films and television series of the franchise. Special was produced by Marvel Studios follows a secret group of monster hunters as they compete for a powerful relic while going up against a dangerous monster. Um, Gail Garcia Bernal stars as Jack Russell, along with D Laura Donnelly and Harriet Sampson Harris. So, hmm. What can I say about Werewolf by Night? Oh, my, uh, my name is not Earl. It's given Hellraiser 10 out of 10. Ah, fair dues. Fair dues. Baby Iceberg Werewolf was good. Had a part by... Um, he's a part of the Midnight Suns, and he messed around with Morbius' ex-girlfriend in the comics. B character for decades. Oh, okay. Wasn't, I'm not really familiar with him at all. So, um... I'd probably say this is one of the better Marvel th uh, things that I've seen recently. I kind of liked that it wasn't pushing too much about the extended MCU and continuity. So for me as a, as a horror fan, and even let's just say as a comics fan growing up, um, I found um, that... Choosing the wrong time to charge up my uh my vape <laughs> um i i found that this was uh, sorry talking about marvel i always preferred the comics that were focusing on that particular character so i like the x-men so i like the comics focusing on the x-men i liked some of the individual heroes and i would occasionally read the um the big event ones that were like uh, avengers or crossovers or whatever but i found that the more that those went on the less interested I was in them, because your your favourite heroes would be bit parts. They may have a central thing, but it's obviously a, it's an ensemble. So the MCU, I liked some of the individual films. And I liked that the connecting thread between them was, you know, like a Nick Cage cameo or a moment. But the focus was on that hero. Now, don't don't get me wrong. The pinnacle for me of uh, MCU probably really actually was, you know, Captain America Civil War uh, and Endgame and, um, you know, Infinity War, which are, of course, crossovers. Um, but then I just kind of found that everything was about Easter eggs or connecting to something else or connecting to this or all this connects to that. In some, in, in some regards, it's good. But for me, sometimes I just want a self-contained story. I want to watch something without thinking, well, what's this connect to? And I think I think I might have got that way because one of my friends, after seeing Infinity War, was just saying, well, what was the point of that? Because you know that this is going to happen. You know this is going to happen. It's kind of like my complaint with with some opinions on wrestling where don't enjoy the match because, well, we know that this is the plan going forward. We know this is going to happen in six months or a year's time. For me, that's when I start switching my brain off because I'm like, I'm, I want to watch the event and process it for the event. Maybe do some fancy booking around where it can go or, you know, speculating. But 
I don't like my enjoyment of something being affected by where that's going to go, you know. And and I found it with a lot of Marvel things in the last year or so. It's just been, well, this is related to the bigger. This is related to the next phase or the next big thing or this. You know, it's it's all tied up with these other things. Kind of cool if you're a super fan, I guess. But for me, sometimes I just want a story, a film, or a series. This just sounds like people are right outside my front door. Um, a story, a film, or a series to just just be focused on that. Just, you know, maybe have some Easter eggs here or there. But the focus is, you know, I don't need to see something go, oh, they were from that. They were from this other series. They were from that other show. Cool. Couldn't really care less. Um, so with this, I like that it wasn't really... I mean, it says it's part of the Phase 4 of the MCU, but really, it was a self-contained story. The story was focused on the characters involved. The characters involved were generally new to the MCU, to my knowledge. Someone might say, oh, that character appeared in uh, a, a millisecond of a scene in this film. Cool. Um, but for me, this was focusing purely on new characters with a story involving those characters, and that was it. And it may connect to something in the wider universe, whatever. Great. But I'm focusing on the main story here. It's also black and white, and it really does have that feel of a early cinema universal horror. It does have that feel to it. it there's, there's a graininess to it as well. It's not just black and white. There's this film grain effect applied quite heavily. And I like that. It's only an hour, like 50-odd minutes. I like that because I could watch it without it taking up too much of my evening. Um, and I watched it yesterday because uh, yesterday's 31 Days of Halloween was family friendly. And I was like, mm, this is on Disney Plus. I'm going to say it's family friendly. Today's I've got to, today's film, which I've not watched yet, has got to be um, underrated. So, guys, if you're listening live on the live chat, um, give me your underrated horror films because I've not picked a film yet. So that's why I don't want this show to be a three hour show because I've got to try and watch a film tonight that's deemed underrated to fit in with the 31 days of halloween um let's have a quick look at the chat so uh around the canon jack russell first appeared in a marvel comic in 1972 um baby marvel say they were pleased with it um and will be releasing more one hour specials connected to the mcu uh, the graph did you watch shang chi i really enjoyed that very very fun i enjoyed shang chi um up to, and this is me being overly cynical or overly critical, up to the point that his mate, who's never shot a bow and arrow before in her life, compared to people that have been training, you know, for these things forever, and of course they get the hit that saves the day and kills the beast or whatever it was. Uh, those things to me, I kind of go, um, uh, I've, <laughs> I go, oh god, that's a bit, that's a bit cheesy in my eyes. But Shang Chi was kind of fun. Um, the gruff. I understand the criticism. Thing that I liked best, boom towards stuff is now kind of off-putting. Um, about the MCU, I don't have time to watch every film and TV show when it's first released, so I'm always behind. Yeah, and that can be a pain. That can be a pain. That's kind of what I did like originally with the Netflix Marvel shows, when you didn't have to watch every other thing. They did start to get connected. Obviously, they connected with the Defenders, and I didn't think the Defenders was very good. I really enjoyed Jessica Jones series one. I never watched the rest, unfortunately. I struggled to get into the first season of Daredevil, but I really enjoyed the second. 
I've since struggled to try and watch the third. I've just, I don't know, kind of just found myself, again, it's that Marvel fatigue. And Luke Cage, I thought, was all right. Series one and two. I thought series two was better than one, actually. And you know what? I didn't mind Iron Fist. Mainly because um, his friend, I can't remember her name. She's an English actress. She's hot. Um, Jessica, someone or other? I don't know. I thought Iron Fist was all right. Not great, but it was all right. Um... So, what else have we got in the chat? Baby Ice, the part where he's turning into Wolf was solid and old school feel. Yes. Yes, it was. Um, basically, yeah, it's these... The following the death of Ulysses Bloodstone, five experienced monster hunters, including Jack Russell, are summoned by Ulysses' widow, um, Verusa, to Bloodstone Manor, where they are instructed to participate in a competitive hunt to determine their new leader, who will wield the powerful Bloodstone. Ulysses' estranged daughter, Elsa, also arrives to complete for the Budstone, despite Verusa warning her against doing so. So really, that's kind of what we need to, what you need to know. We're, um, we're dealing with this, this uh, event, this kind of competition. And I'd, I'd heard that, oh, this is Marvel doing horror. It's really, it's, it's pretty, you know, it's pretty gory in places. And to be honest, I didn't think too much about it because um, I told that I was told that Marvel do horror in Doctor Strange: Multiverse of Madness, and I didn't agree. I didn't agree. I watched it and thought that's not really horror. This is very horror light. Um, and I guess that's because I'm not a massive fan of later day Raimi. There's like an over reliance on CGI and over CGI, overly CGI in, in horror does nothing for me. Like Drag Me to Hell wasn't really that fussed. Um. But this does a good this this is decent and again it's got that aesthetic of 1930s 40s universal horror i liked it i dug it um an hour special i was cool with that as well i think this is definitely worth a watch if you've uh if you've not seen it yet i'm gonna give it a first actually on my scores i don't think i've uh, i've done a score like this before i'm giving it a 7.75 i don't think it's quite an eight but I think this is actually really quite good. Um, and, it, and it satisfied my need to watch things that are short, that don't take up too much time. Long and short, I'm doing some studying at the moment, non-accountancy studying, um, English language literature. And I have had to read. Uh, last week's study said, I'll read the first 30 pages of this book, far from the madding crowd, not the sort of book I ever normally read. I did that, and it said, okay, read this, these chapters in the study textbook. Okay, yeah, I did that, that was fine. Okay, then read pages 36 to 187 i thought what in a week you shitting me i beg your pudding and then this week's studying which started on saturday said okay read page um 188 to 387 and then return to the study text and i thought i'm a slow reader like i will read a book over the course of a month or two <laughs> and they want me to read an entire novel in the space of two weeks and study it and study text and a lot of studying is go back and read these sections i've had to power read a lot and i'm again not a fast reader because i find i don't retain it um so yeah literally yesterday i think i read from page like 90 to page 240 and i'm now at page 290 so really i've got just over 100 pages to read so i'm going to aim to have that finished by tomorrow so then at least i've got thursday friday well let's not Let's not say Friday, because it's Friday night. Friday night, we're going to do a watch party. We're going to be doing a horror watch party on Twitch. 
Um, so I've got really Thursday then to do the studying on it, but uh, I've been reading like a demon to try and keep up to date in this. Uh, do you know what, Fran? Yes, I was getting into it because as much as I was like, I've got to read this because I have to to stay up to date and not fall behind, but also not a bad book. Once you get used to the 1800s language and the fact it's a romantic book and I'd never really read those at all, not bad. Bathsheba sounds like a bit of a temptress. Um, Bathsheba Everdeen, but it's actually all right. I'll, I'll give Thomas Hardy his dues. Anyway, <laughs> that's off on a different tangent. Baby Ice, um, Boo Iron Fist, and Jessica Henwick. I think it might have been Jessica Henwick. She was in that awful Matrix film recently. I really didn't like that. So, we got a few suggestions for underrated films. Now, Baby Ice said Rawhead Rex. No, I did not like Rawhead Rex. I'm sorry, Baby Ice. You do you, but I didn't like it. My name is not L. The Haunting in Connecticut 2, Ghosts of Georgia. Okay, now I vaguely have I vaguely remember that I've seen The Haunting in Connecticut. Vaguely. But I've definitely not seen The Haunting in Connecticut 2, so um, very unprofessional of me. I am going to just have a look to see if that is available on uh, Prime. The Haunting in Connecticut to electric boogaloo um prime video that's two pound to rent um so okay yeah we'll we, we, we might watch that maybe um so but 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 the gruff has said unfriended uh i think i have seen unfriended and i thought it was all right actually i thought it was all right so i'd probably agree do you know what oh brand the cannon I think Fran the Cannon's got it, because I would agree with this, because I have seen it. I actually really quite like the House of Wax remake. I know it didn't get do well in the reviews. I know, yes, it's got Paris Hilton in it, and yes, she's not a very good actress. But it's got Alicia Cuthbert, who's great, and a few other people. Um, I thought House of Wax was actually decent. I know a lot of people effing hate that film. Um, yeah, I'm going to watch House of Wax tonight uh let's just have a look house of wax let's just have a look oh typically it's not on prime i'm sure it's on i'm sure it's on netflix or something i don't know we'll have a look if not there's a there's a way to watch it the original uh gruff in the chat i've not seen the uh the original the remake the original's decent. The original is decent. I just I do quite like the remake. Some of the kills are pretty cool. The whole setup, it does have this kind of old schooly feel. Uh, my name is not oh my choice was better. <laughs> um I mean maybe at some point I'll watch both. Maybe at some point I'll watch both, but um I, I will have to give yours a go though, my name's not I've not seen it. I haven't seen it. Baby Ice is justice for Rex, no. No justice for Rex. <laughs> So, I think it is now time. I'm going to have a honk on my vape, but it's on charge, isn't it? It's on time now to go to our homework. So, guys, the homework I set you last week was Intruder. Intruder. Um, so this is a 1988 American slasher film written and directed by Scott Spiegel and co-produced, co-written and produced by Lawrence Bender. Um, oh, Scott Spiegel did, um, 2001 Maniacs, 
which again again i'd probably say that's also an underrated film i quite like that i mean technically it's a terrible film but i quite like 2001 maniacs um yeah and that's a rob england film oh apparently there's a hostile part four coming out tba because hmm. this guy's been involved in all the hostile films uh to a degree okay um, it received positive reviews and critics was particular praise given for its unique setting of a grocery store for a slasher film. <laughs> oh no, baby eyes. So I was just going to say, I want your, your guys' reviews on Intruder. So uh, this is set in a supermarket where um, there's a bit of an incident with the ex-boyfriend of the cashier, Jennifer. Uh, Craig, he appears and uh, they have a bit of a quarrel um there's a fight that ensues he gets ejected from the building disappears into the night the crew are told that uh, the staff are going to be losing their jobs because the store is up for sale but they're still going ahead with their work of uh, restocking the shelves for the following day uh terror starts to ensue and people start to die and the deaths make me think of uh 70s giallo because they are pretty pretty violent pretty gory so uh, let's have a look. So in the chat, Baby Isis said, this movie made me wish I had watched anime instead. Unhappy face. I'm sorry, Baby Ice. I'm sorry. I'm starting to think you don't like the homework selections I give. <laughs> Around the count, I forgot what the homework was. I've seen 2001 Maniacs and the sequel, Field of Screams. I've never seen the sequel. Brandon just never got around to it. Uh, my name is not Earl. Spie Spiegel also did Dust Till Dawn 2. I is Dust Till Dawn 2? That's the one with uh, Robert Patrick. I think I think that's the one. I thought that was all right, actually. Baby, I was kudos for getting all those name brands on screen. Get rights for Fruit Loops nowadays must cost a fortune. Yeah, I can't imagine. I can't imagine what the budget must have been to uh, to cover all that. I mean, the budget for the film was 130k. So, um, hmm. and funnily enough, the running time I just noticed for the R-rated version is 83 minutes, and the unrated director's cut is 83 minutes or 88 minutes. Sorry, I was just looking at that wrong to clean my glasses i was initially thinking they're both exactly the same but oh no, okay there's uh yeah there's five minutes difference there um but yeah we've got elizabeth cox rennie estevez uh dan hicks david byans sam raimi appears in this eugene robert glazer among others um around the camera in the chat yes dust till dawn 2 is texas blood money um okay so yeah, I mean, if you if you watched Intruder, I mean, I'm interested, Baby Ice. What's your score out of ten? What's your score out of ten? And did anyone else? I know Fran Fran forgot the homework. Did anyone else watch uh, Intruder for your homework? Or if you've seen it before, what are your thoughts? Let me know in the chat. Ah, dearie me. Um, I don't know whether people will like the next this week's homework. I'm going to say it shortly either. Oh, dear. Baby Ice giving it a 4 out of 10. Ouchie mama. Uh, Fran can Field of Screams didn't have England, but did have Lin Shea and Bill Mosley. Okay. I will have to give it a watch. I think it, I think Field of Screams is on Shudder. Field of Screams. Um, uh, Prime Video, Field of Screams. Oh, currently unavailable, of course. Of course it is. Um, okay. 
I liked it for what it is. My name is not else. Says five out of ten. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough, guys. Right. Well, <laughs> the next bit of homework. Um, I can't actually remember if this is that good, but I just I was looking through Prime Video earlier because I thought I'd try and make something that is generally available on on streaming on streaming platforms uh the gruff in regards to the homework sorry i was doing the washing up i enjoyed it very fun old school slash type film exactly what i expected some grim deaths i thought seven out of ten uh Raimi getting killed was the highlight baby i says well your homework for this coming week i was again i was scrolling through you know prime shutter just kind of seeing what would uh trigger my my mind as a film potentially worth watching and I actually th I remember catching this one on the off chance and thinking, hmm, it's all right. The The cast is generally uh, mainly comedy actors, but it's not a comedy. It's a straight-up supernatural horror film. And that is the 2015 supernatural horror directed by David Gelb and written by Luke Dawson and Jeremy Slater. That is The Lazarus Effect. So it it did well. Um, we got negative reviews from critics, but it did um, 38 million against a budget of 3 million. Um, stars Mark Duplass, Olivia Wilde, Donald Glover, um, Evan Peters, and Sarah Bolger. So I'd never even heard of this film. I'd happened to catch it. And it's got Ray Wise in it as well. He's a legend. I happened to catch it just flicking through, you know, Prime a few years ago. Or it might have even been Netflix. Um... And I, I put it on, 83 minutes, it's not that long. And I just remember thinking, this is actually pretty decent. Uh, I mean, we don't really have a blurb here without just going directly into the plot, but uh, it basically involves well, Lazarus. If you know what Lazarus is or means, then you kind of get the gist. Um, the Gruff, not seen or heard of this, interesting, we'll give it a watch. But yeah, just kind of think, a bit of Frankenstein maybe. Well, not Frankenstein. Raising the Dead, just think Raising the Dead. But yeah, it's got kind of an all-star cast of um, people from comedy and TV. Evan Peters, obviously, we've talked about recently with um, Dharma and um, uh, American Horror Story. He also did um, very well in The Mayor of Easttown. Excellent show. I really enjoyed that. Uh, Fran McCann, I haven't seen this in a few years. I remember it being all right. Baby Ice, heard of it, but never seen it. Um, and yeah. <laughs> and my name is not... Oh, oh man, I hate Olivia Wilde. I uh, have it on DVD, Tez. Oh, fair dues. Why don't Why don't you like Olivia Wilde? And that's not a loaded question. I don't know much about her. I know there's been a lot of drama recently involving her film. Don't worry, darling, or whatever. I don't know what the drama is. I think she's an alright actress from from what I know. And I I'm not. I think I've seen. She did Booksmart. And Booksmart was alright. Yeah. 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 Okay, well, that's it for homework. Now, we're not going to take a break because we've got, <laughs> we've got like 11 fucking films to talk about. <coughs> oh, dear. Talking myself hoarse here, guys. And it's already quarter past nine. Fuck. Okay, we are going to just now. We've done the homework. We've set your homework. We've, watched, we've done the reviews. We've done the news. We've done new films. Oh, gee, gee whiz. Because I think it's time that we go on to the featured discussion. go oh boy 
boy howdy we are talking about this it's a bit of a slow one but as anyone i could find when i had 15 minutes before uh before start time of the stream we are talking about the friday the 13th franchise um we've got a lot of films to get through we are focusing just on the films um i know there was a tv series uh, I never watched the TV series. I've heard it's not a very good TV series. Um, do we have anything on here about the TV? We can just get it out of the way. So September 28th, 87. Oh, wow. A few days after my birthday. Paramount began airing Friday the 13th series, a television series that focused on two cousins attempts to recover cursed antiques that were sold from a shop they inherited from their uncle. Um, oh, the idea of Friday the 13th, which is that it symbolizes bad luck and curses. The creators wanted to tie in Jason's trademark hockey mask to the series, but the idea was discarded so the show could have a chance to exist on its own. Then what's the point of giving it the Friday the 13th moniker and relating it to the films if you're then not going to relate it at all to the films? I don't know. I don't know. But for those of you who don't know, it's an American horror franchise that comprises 12 slasher films, television series, novel, comic books, video games, merchandise. Franchise mainly focuses on the fictional character Jason Voorhees, who was thought to have drowned as a boy at Camp Crystal Lake due to the negligence of the camp 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 staff. Decades later, the lake is rumored to be cursed and is the setting for the series of mass murders. Jason is featured in all of the films as either the killer or the motivation for the killings. The original film was created to cash in on the success of Halloween and was written by Victor Miller and produced and directed by Sean S. Cunningham. Um, the films overall have grossed over 468 million at the box office worldwide. It was the highest grossing horror franchise in the world until Halloween 2018 was released, putting the Halloween franchise in the top spot. <sighs> okay, so we're not talking about the book adaptations. F that shib. Let's start off with what we've got on screen now. Friday the 13th, 1980. So, directed by Sean S. Cunningham, written by Victor Miller. This starred Betsy Palmer, uh, Andre King, Adrienne King, I should say, Harry Crosby, uh, Laurie Bartram, Mark Nelson, Janine Taylor, Robbie Morgan, and of course, Kevin Bacon. The plot follows a group of teen camp counsellors who are murdered one by one by an unknown killer while attempting to reopen an abandoned summer camp. So, I had thought for today's show, should I do a should i do this as a rankings list but really the friday the 13th films i didn't grow up with i watched them much later so i don't have that tied affinity there's some sequels and some films i like better than others of course but there's none of the films really outside of maybe one that i'm like oh man that's that's excellent you know halloween has a special place in my heart that's kind of always going to be my favorite franchise as much as i haven't liked a couple of the entries one of the most recent ones of course as mentioned um so i thought if i do a friday um rankings list we're probably just gonna have a lot in the middle and lower really and i thought that's probably not fair so let's take it as we did with nightmare and just talk about the film releases so yeah this was originally this was produced and directed by sean s coming and previously worked with filmmaker wes craven on last house on the left um, he was inspired by John Carpenter's Halloween and wanted Friday the 13th to be shocking, visually stunning, and make you jump out of your seat. 
He wanted to distance himself from the last house on the left and wanted Friday the 13th to be more of a roller coaster ride. It was originally titled A Long Night at Camp Blood, which I think we've got in the chat. Um, yeah, my name's not else got that. Fran the Cannon has said it ran for three seasons, talking about the TV show, so it couldn't have been that bad a show. Um, Baby Ice, I was excited for the show, and then it had nothing to do with Jason. Baby Ice also says, uh, some of my favourite theatre-going moments are watching Friday the 13th films on the big screen, the original Party City. Wow. Um, so the screenplay was completed by Victor Miller in mid-1979, who later went on to write for several television soap operas, including Guiding Life, One Life to Live, and All My Children at the same time. Um, Miller was living in Stamford, Connecticut, near Cunningham, and the two began collaborating on potential film projects. Miller delighted in, in inventing a serial killer who turned out to be somebody's mother. Big twist. Um, a murderer whose only motivation was her love for her child. I took motherhood and turned it on its head, and I think that was great fun. Mrs. Voorhees was the mother I'd always wanted, a mother who would have killed for her kids. Miller was unhappy about the filmmaker's decision to make Jason Voorhees the killer in the sequels. Jason was dead from the very beginning. He was a victim, not a villain. The idea of Jason appearing at the end of the film was initially not used in the original script. In Miller's final draft, the film ended with Alice merely floating on the, on the lake. Jason's appearance was actually suggested by makeup designer Tom Savini. Savini stated that the whole reason for the cliffhanger at the end was I had just seen Carrie, so we thought that we needed a chair jumper like that, and I said, let's bring in Jason. As we can kind of see on screen there. So yeah, as we kind of know, it's uh, it's set in a Camp Crystal Lake, uh, a camp. A bunch of camp counselors arriving there, and they're kind of the premise for a lot of the films. They 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 vary in in little little degrees, but really, this is how we can hopefully breeze through quite a few of these. It's camp counselors having sex, getting killed one by one in fairly gruesome ways. One of the standouts in the first one is Kevin Bacon, um, obviously a huge movie star. Much later on, on his bed, getting an arrow through the throat, and that was a very cool effect. Very very cool. Bacon on a skewer, Fran the Cannon says. Um, my name is not El Victor Miller, originally named Jason Josh. Jo Josh Voorhees, God. Yeah, that wouldn't have worked quite as well. And Baby Eyes says, my name, um, so it's Baby Eyes says, first one is still the best. Um, but as we get to the finale, um, Alice runs out and is met by Jason Voorhees, who claims to be an old friend of Steve and his family. Uh, she reveals that her son Jason was a young boy who drowned in 1957, blaming his death on neglecting on neglect by the counsellors because they were having sex instead. Revealing herself as the killer, she attempts to kill Alice, but Alice knocks her unconscious. Um, Mrs. Voorhees tries again to kill Alice with a machete, but Alice gains the advantage and decapitates her. Very, very cool moment. Very, very cool. And I, I think it was one of those real cool sort of twists in uh in, in film which has kind of stayed for a long time it's one of those little bits of horror trivia that is still kind of brought up to this day that some people don't know that jason wasn't the killer in the very first film it was actually his mother i think that's tantamount to the impact that the overall franchise has had that first film really doesn't feature jason until like the the very end you know, very briefly um but there, this is the very first film in the franchise. It did well. It did a uh, budget of 550k and it did 59.8 million. So it was a bit of a hit. Which then led us on to a sequel one year later. Wow, that's a quick turnaround. 
which was part two. 1981 American slasher film produced and directed by Steve Miner in his directorial debut. Yeah, he's done a few things, hasn't he? Um, he, oh yeah, he did H2O, of course he did. Lake Placid, Day of the Dead. Um, oh, 2008, Day of the Dead. Yes, yeah, another bullshit remake that's not a remake. Um, so... Boom, 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 boom. So this one had uh, was produced by Steve Miner, written by Ron Kurtz, starring Adrian King, Amy Steele, and John Furry. Budget was one point two five million. It made twenty one point seven million. It's not quite as uh, quite as well done. Well, in you know, didn't make quite as much as the first film. So in this one, reprising their roles, Adrian King, Betsy Palmer, and Walt Gorney reprised their respective roles from the first film as Alice Hardy, Pamela Voorhees, and Crazy Ralph. Amy Steele and John Furley also star, taking place five years after the first film. Part two follows a similar premise, with an unknown stalker killing a group of camp, camp, camp counsellors at a training camp near Crystal Lake. The film marks the debut of Jason Voorhees as the series' main antagonist. Originally, part two was intended to be an anthology film based on the Friday the 13th superstition. However, after the popularity of the original film's surprise ending, the filmmakers opted to continue the story and mythology surrounding Camp Crystal Lake, a trend which would be repeated in every film in the franchise. Uh, like the original film, part two faced opposition from the Motion Picture Association of America, who noted its accumulative violence as problematic, resulting in numerous cuts being made to allow an R rating. So... Do we do we enjoy part two? I quite enjoy part two. I think it's got some um, some cool moments, some cool kills. I don't think it's quite as iconic, but I do quite like the look of Jason in this. Uh, so what have we got in the chat? Part two, greatest beginning scenes, says Baby Ice. My name is not L. Puppet Master sequels. Amy Steele was also in April Fool's Day. Um, so yeah, we've got some horror pedigree here. So... Paramount began plans to make a sequel in 1980. First acquiring the worldwide distribution rights, Frank um, Mancuso Sr. stated, we wanted to be an event where teenagers would flock to the theatres on that Friday night to see the latest episode. The initial ideas for a sequel involved the Friday the 13th title being used for a series of films released once a year that would not have direct continuity of one another, but, by, but be a separate scary movie in their own right. Bill Scuderi, one of the three owners of Esquire Theatres, along with Steve um, Minasian and Bob Barmasimian, um, who produced the original film, insisted that the sequel have Jason Voorhees, Pamela's son, even though his appearance in the original film was only meant to be a joke. Steve Miner, associate producer of the first film, believed in the idea and would go on to direct the first two sequels. After Cunningham opted not to return to the director's chair, Miner would use many of the same crew members from the first film working on the sequels. Cunningham had mixed feelings about the entire Friday the 13th enterprise that he outlined for film critic and author Stephen Hunter in an interview for a book Hunter wrote on violent films. Hunter stated that Cunningham wasn't particularly proud of his work on these films, and Cunningham bluntly said that the only thing that seemed to reach a teenage audience at the time involved high levels of gore and graphic violence. Um, <clears throat> My name is not Earl. Part two is my second fave. Uh, Fran the Cannon, part two is good. Not a fan of the sackcloth, though. Uh, Baby Eyes, two and three are decent, in my opinion. And the gruff, yeah, I enjoyed part two, but it's so hard watching Jason with a sack over his head when you know he later gets a cool hockey mask. Yeah, that's fair. And I think it's quite cool as well, as we see on the screen at the moment, just then, that uh, Pamela Voorhees still kind of plays a role. He has kept her head and made a shrine of it. 
Um, very dark and morbid, but this is Jason Voorhees. I mean, as far as we know, he's been growing up in a wooden shack. Um, and also, it would appear then that his mother's not been aware that he's still alive. Uh, so he's just been living out there, living in the woods that whole time alone. I can't remember if that's mentioned at all in the film, if there's any sort of thing to talk about. If she knew that he was alive still, I don't know, I can't remember. They were kind of blurring to one for me, to be honest. Um, but yeah, 1.25 million budget, made 21.7 back. Um, and we have the reveal of an adult Jason this time. So, again, a year later, August 13th, 1982, Steve Miner returns with Friday the 13th, part three. Bam! Uh, American slash film starring Dana Kimmel, Paul Kratka, and Richard Brooker. It's the third installment in the franchise, set directly after the events of Part 2. The plot follows a teenage girl and her friends who go on a trip at a house near Crystal Lake, where a wounded Jason Voorhees has taken refuge until re-emerging for another killing spree. The film marks the first appearance of Jason's signature hockey mask, which has since become a trademark of both characters in the franchise, as well as an icon in American cinema and the horror genre in general. This had a budget of 2.2 million. It made 36.7 million at the box office. So it did better than uh, part two. Um, my name is not. Oh, yes, this was in 3D. Um, I don't know what it looked like in 3D. Um, you could tell which scenes were in 3D, of course. But uh, yeah, it was a 3D film. Um, Baby Ice, yes, the sack like the town that dreaded sundown. I've never seen the original town that dreaded sundown. I saw the, um, the remake and I actually thought that was decent. Thought the remake was cool. Um, so, the original storyline was supposed to focus on a post-traumatic guinea field who began learning self-defense and returned to college after surviving her ordeal in the previous film. After finding Paul's corpse inside her dormitory, she prepares to track down Voorhees and face him in a final confrontation. However, this concept was abandoned when Amy still declined to reprise her role. So it has the third most attendance of the Friday the 13th franchise with approximately 11,000 or 11,762,400 tickets sold. It was followed by what we'll talk about shortly afterwards. But uh, initially, one of the earlier drafts, yeah, oh yeah, we mentioned that. Um, so Steele recalled, they really wanted me for part three. They didn't have a script, but they were just going to show me some sort of outline. Then my agents got involved, and I don't know if it was a money issue or script issue, but I didn't do it. Screenwriter Ron Kurtz, who had written part two, was offered to draft a screenplay, but also turned the project down. Husband and wife screenwriting duo Martin Kitarosa and Carol Watson instead were hired to write the screenplay for part three, completing the first draft. Uh, Paramount um, subsequently brought in Petru Popescu um, to alter the screenplay and make it more sinister and menacing. Um, though the final film version of the script contained significant contributions from Popescu, he remained uncredited. The script for part three called for Jason to wear a mask to cover his face, having worn a bag over his head in part two. And the mask would obviously become a trademark, as we see in this film. So I think part three is kind of fun. It did feel to me like it didn't have much connection with the first two. Obviously, we don't have the Pamela Voorhees, you know, focus in this one for me this felt like yes we got the iconic mask but it did kind of feel like the start of new group of teen teenagers um bunch of deaths jason you know rinse and repeat it's fine but i don't hold a strong affinity for part three uh what do we think of this one in the chat 
the gruff part three is probably my favorite i love the reveal at the end of seeing his unmasked face yeah he did look very creepy there i know his face changes a bit in from one as a child to, to two to three but he looked mental in part three and it does have some cool some cool kills in this but yeah when he comes out of the barn he just looks like absolutely insane i do think that was pretty creepy uh my name's not oh jason gets his iconic mask from shelly um does he so wait 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 so oh yeah shelly oh yeah 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 right gotcha so that was part three i mean again he comes in does some kills move on um part three yeah well, let me know if you if you enjoyed part three in the chat we'll move on now to part four this one has had a little bit of a breather. It was released in 1984, so it's had a year to to chill out, so to speak. And this is one of the ones that I haven't actually seen that much. I saw once years ago. For whatever reason, I've just never got around to watching it again. I don't know why. And that is part four. I found, I don't know if it was the cut that I had. I had this box set. It was one of the cheap releases that they did of the first eight films. But I remember watching part eight and thinking, there's not a lot of gore in this. So I don't know if I just had like a heavily cut version i don't know if that's a thing or if this is one of the tamer ones or maybe i just need to give it a watch again but that is part four the final chapter 1984 american slash film directed by joseph uh, zitto produced by frank mancuso jr starring kimberly beck Corey feldman crispin glover and peter barton it's the fourth installment of the franchise picking up immediately after the events of part three the plot follows a presumed dead jason Voorhees who escapes from the morgue and returns to Crystal Lake to continue his killing spree. The film marks the debut of the character Tommy Jarvis, played in this run by Corey Feldman, who would make further appearances in two sequels and related media, establishing him as Jason's archenemy. Oh, much like part three, the film was originally supposed to be the final installment in the series. Uh, Mancuso Jr. wanted to conclude the series as he felt no one respected him for his producing work on it, regardless of how much the films earned at the box office while also wanting to work on other projects. Paramount Pictures supported the decision as they were aware of the declining popularity of slasher films at the time of its release. Um, as a result, the film was marketed as the final chapter to ensure it was as such. Makeup artist Tom Savini, who worked on the first film, returned because he wanted to help kill off Jason, whom he helped create. It was originally scheduled to be released in October, but it was pushed up to April 13th, 1984. Upon its theatrical release, the film grossed 30, 30, $33 million in the US on a budget of $2.6 million, making it the fourth most attended in the Friday the 13th series. Though the film uh, received generally negative reviews from critics at the time of release, it was, has retrospectively come to be considered one of the stronger entries in the series. Um, despite being billed as the final film, it successfully prompted, its success prompted another sequel one year later, which we'll talk about shortly. So... I, I just find this one not that memorable. I don't know why. I know some people really enjoy it. But um I just I just don't remember this one. I don't remember a lot about this one. So what have we got in the chat? Um Baby Ice, young creepy Corey Feldman. My name's not El Unpopular Opinion, overrated Friday the thirteenth of the series. The gruff uh, part four, another favourite for me. First one I saw, actually. Um, I watched this when I was about nine on a friend's Betamax. Love the cover art. Around the canon, I do enjoy the Tommy Jarvis character. Yeah. 
The gruff, yeah, Tommy is played differently in each film he's in. Feldman is good in this, though. Love how much he loves horror movies. My name's not L. Joseph Zitek made a better movie. The Prowler. I've never seen The Prowler. Uh, I remember the final act, not so much. The rest is baby ice. Yeah, that's probably it for me as well. I don't really remember any of the kills, but I remember the fight with Corey Feldman when he shaved his head <laughs> to try and look like Jason. Uh, yeah, I, I just don't remember a lot about this one, to be honest. Maybe I need to go back and watch it. I think this is on Paramount Plus at the moment. Um, But uh, yeah, this is this is leading up to, again, it's Jason's pack starts killing but we do meet a young tommy jarvis who's this huge horror fan people relate to him start getting killed up he then essentially decides to take on jason and um in doing so he kind of goes a bit he, he loses it he goes crazy he ends up um hacking the body yelling die 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 um, and then he ends up getting rushed to hospital, giving a disturbed look into the camera. So he's been able to kill Jason, but at what cost? Um, I, I probably do need to give this one a rewatch. There's only one of the sequels that I've rewatched a few times, and we haven't got to it yet. Um, but I, don't, I just don't remember a lot about this film, to be honest. I think at some point I need to have a bit of a Friday binge. I, I was having a look recently because I'd. I'd previously had part one to eight, one to eight in a box set. Sold it at some point. I must have because I can't find it anymore. But I remember getting it quite cheap. And since recently, I've had a look. And it is expensive to get a Friday the 13th set. Like, they don't seem to have the cheap collections readily available on like Amazon Prime to buy anymore. They've only really got, which is annoying because it's only in Region 1 or Region A, which is American, the box set, the huge box set of all the Friday the 13th films, which looks incredible, but it's like over £100 which is a bit rich for my taste, considering I'm not a huge, huge fan of of the the series. I like them, but I'm not a huge fan of it. So £20 for a box set, a cheapy box set, I'm fine with. £100, not so much, even though it does look very nice. Um, let's look at the chat. The Gruff. Um, it's like they were planning on making Tommy the Killer. Um, I did the same. I had a box set that I sold, and now they're quite expensive. Yeah, I, I mean, they did it recently as well with Chucky. I had the Chucky box set. Watched them all and I was like, fine. I'm not a big Chucky fan. You know, it's all right. Went to pick up a box set again because typically after watching the series, the TV series, I was like, okay. You know, I, I might give them another watch. Um, and then it's super expensive. I think the price has come down on Chucky now. But yeah, the 1 to 8 box set um, is now like £32, £38. Uh is okay i guess um but that seems to be the cheapest that you can get it um but then yeah there's different different sort of levels of box sets you can get but then the big box set which we've got in the background 179 pounds and i don't think it's re and i don't i've got consoles they're not multi-region although i'm sure i heard that the xbox was it's not um because i've got an american copy of a film i can't remember which horror film it is but it wouldn't work I had to end up watching it. Oh, no, it wasn't a horror film. It was King of the Hill Series 2. It was Region 1, so I've had to watch it on my computer because it won't play on my on my TV in my, my living room or my you know my consoles. So as much as I wouldn't mind that box set because it does look tasty, it's too expensive and it's not Region 2, which is a pain in the ass. So anyway, let's get back to uh, what we're talking about. 
Uh, let's have a quick another look at the chat. So Crispin Glover dancing. My name is not Earl. Enjoyed that. Um, Baby Ice. Usually our Walmart sells huge one box sets of franchises. Little Black Friday. Here I come. Well, you know, I would say hook a brother up, Baby Ice, but it won't work on, on my UK Blu-ray player anyway. <laughs> so enjoy for yourself. Uh, so let's move on. We're doing good time here, actually, guys. We are getting good impact on this. Ideally, what I want to be done by 10, just so I can watch a film and go to bed. Next up, this is one of my lower-ranked ones. This would be at the lower end of the spectrum for me. I've only seen it once. Maybe I need to give it another watch. Opinions do change. They certainly have for me with some films. But that is Friday the 13th, A New Beginning, 1985 American psychological slasher film directed by Danny Steinman, starring Melanie Kinnaman, John Shepard, and Shaver Ross. The fifth installment in the Friday the 13th franchise is set years after the events of Part 4. The story follows a teenage Tommy Jarvis who is institutionalized at a halfway house near Crystal Lake because of nightmares of mass murder of Jason Voorhees, whom he killed as a child. Tommy must face his fears when a new hockey mask wearing murderer initiates another killing spree in the area. Uh, it features a number of a high number of on-screen murders. Aside from its gore and violence, the film also became known for its explicit nudity, sex scenes, and numerous depictions of illicit drug use. Uh, it features a cameo appearance from Corey Feldman, who portrayed Tommy Jarvis in the previous film. Now, the 2.2 million budget made 22 million at the box office, so it wasn't uh, wasn't well liked. Um, and I really don't remember a lot about it, other than uh, uh, who was the killer? Roy, someone. Uh, Seeing that so it's not Jason Voorhees, it's someone else wearing his mask. Revealing that he's Roy Burns, one of the paramedics who arrived at the scene of Joe's murder. The police later identify Roy as Joe's father and determined that he went insane after his son's death and sought revenge. Uh, oh, I just thought this one. Oh, I haven't even got it on screen yet, sorry. I just thought this one was cack, to be honest. I just don't really remember much about this one other than being a bit like, huh? Eh? What? So let's look what the chat is saying on this. So, Baby Ice, oh yeah, this one stunk. The graph part five is an odd one. Tommy Jarvis in this film is played very dark, which I guess kind of makes sense from the ending of four, but it's just weird. My name is not Earl. Now we're talking. Part five is a mess of a movie, but I love it. A New Beginning is my favorite of the series. Really? Interesting. Uh, the graph, I also remember with this one, the overweight teenager gets murdered by someone else in the house for offering him a chocolate bar or something. Oh, wow. Uh, my name is Noel. Corey was doing Goonies at the time. That's why he only did a cameo. Okay, that makes sense. I mean, he probably made the right choice. Uh, the Gruff, yeah, a paramedic who was the father of the overweight kid. And the Gruff and a guy constantly singing, Ooh, baby, ooh, baby. <laughs> uh, yeah, I can't remember. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, there's not much to talk about with this one. It was... Not my favourite, but again, maybe I need to give it a rewatch. Maybe I need to have a Friday the 13th binge at some point. We shall see. So now we move on to my favourite of the series, and that is Friday the 13th, Part 6, Jason Lives. This is a 1986 American slash film written and directed by Tom McLaughlin. What else has he done? That name doesn't ring any bells. Not no films that I know of. Date with an Angel, One Dark Night, The Unsaid, Fairy Tale, a True Story, TV. He did Sometimes They Come Back. Director, Sometimes They Come Back. Okay. 
They came from out of space. She Wolf of London. Freddy's Nightmares. Uh, oh, God. Okay, right. Huh. And he played the mutated bear in the 1979 horror film Prophecy. Never seen Prophecy. Okay, well, there we go. So, stars Tom Matthews, Jennifer Cook, David Kagan, and C.J. Graham. It's the sixth installment of the franchise and the last one to feature Tommy Jarvis as the protagonist. I wonder why we never had another Tommy Jarvis uh, feature. Uh, continuing on from the events of Friday the 13th, A New Beginning, the plot follows Tommy after he accidentally resurrects mass murderer Jason Voorhees while attempting to destroy his body to ensure he will not return. While J Jason returns to Crystal Lake for another killing spree, Tommy must overcome his fear of the masked killer that has haunted him for years and find a way to stop him once and for all. The original storyline had Tommy Jarvis become the series' new antagonist, but after the poor fan reception of A New Beginning, the producers instead brought Jason Voorhees back. In resurrecting Jason, McLaughlin made him an explicitly supernatural force for the first time in the series. This version of Jason, an undead and more powerful superhuman, would become the standard depiction for the rest of the series. The film also introduced meta-humour, gothic horror, and action film elements, including shootouts and car chases. Jason Lives was the first in the series to receive some positive reception from critics since the original. In the years since its release, its self-referential humour and numerous instances of breaking the fourth wall have been praised by prefiguring Kevin Williamson's Scream series. It's considered a fan favourite of the series in addition to receiving positive um, notice from the horror film historians. Uh, it grossed $19.4 million at the box office on a budget of $3 million. So, yeah, it didn't do better than the prior films, but... Um, I, I I enjoy this one. We get Zombie Jason. Um, we get some cool kills. There's the face in the RV that's getting pushed through the, the metal. Um, and this depiction, sorry, I should say, of, of Tommy Jarvis is pretty iconic, actually. Um, Tom Matthews, has he gone on to do much else? He was in Return of the Living Dead Part 2. Um... Nemesis Kickboxer 4. Didn't know there was a fourth one. Um, yeah, a few bits and bobs here and there. ER. Yeah, little things here. But it's a cool character. It is a cool character, and I, I've always found it strange that we never got more Tommy Jarvis, because he is kind of really his, I think, Friday the 13th um, Nancy, or the Friday the 13th version of Laurie. Um, you know, not not the typical final girl, but he's kind of become the uh, arch enemy in a way to to Jason. I wonder if Jason sees it that way. I mean, we don't know his intellect when he was alive, but now he's an unstoppable zombie. I think this is cool. So what we're saying in the chat. Da, 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 da. So from the canon, whenever it's not Voorhees as the killer, the movies dip for me. Uh, the graph zombie Jason. Baby, Alice Cooper's on the soundtrack, yeah. Uh, the gruff Tommy Jarvis, played by the guy from Return of the Living Dead movies. Can't remember his name. Um, my name's not Earl. Six is a comedy. I would argue it's too much of a comedy for the series. Uh, the gruff, I did read once that one script for Freddy vs. Jason had Tommy Jarvis as the main character. Um, Baby, this one was great, lol. Horror fun. The gruff, I really like this film. For me, they start going downhill after this. Um, who can forget the 007 style opening? Uh, the first in the series to have actual kids at the camp, says my name is Noel. Yes. I, I enjoy this one. 
I just think it doesn't take itself too seriously. The paintball section I thought was really quite cool. Um, and yeah, it just kind of goes balls to the wall. We've now got Supernatural Jason. I love it. I'm up for it. Um, let's move on to part eight. Now, I do remember thinking part eight was decent. Can't say I've ever rewatched it though. Or part seven. Well, mind about part eight. Part seven, sorry. Um, I remember it being quite different. But I don't remember it being bad, but for whatever reason, I've just never gone back and rewatched it. And that's Friday the 13th, Part 8, The New Blood. Um, is a slasher film directed by John Carl um, Boykler and starring La Park Lincoln, Kevin Blair, Susan Blue, Terry Keeser, and Kane Hodder in his first appearance as Jason Voorhees, a role he will reprise in three subsequent films. It is the seventh installment in the Friday the 13th franchise, set years after the events of Friday the 13th Part 6. The plot follows a psychokinetic teenage girl who unwittingly releases Jason from his tomb at the bottom of Crystal Lake, allowing him to go on another killing spree in the area. The new blood was intended to have a higher standard of quality than that of the previous installments, with high-profile directors being considered to helm the project. Paramount Pictures sought a partnership with New Line Cinema to create a crossover film between the Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street uh, series, which would not come to fruition until New Line brought the rights to the franchise, releasing, Friday the Friday, uh, releasing Freddy vs. Jason in 2003. After several failed concepts, screenwriter Daryl Haney suggested an idea akin to Jason vs. Carrie, in which Jason would battle a teenage girl with psychokinetic abilities. Um, it had mostly negative reviews, grossed 19.1 million at the US on a budget of 2.8 million. Um, so, yeah, part seven was originally intended to be a crossover film. Um, box office profits were diminishing, with the films in the Nightmare series grossing nearly twice the amount of the Friday films. Uh, Paramount Control and Domestic Distribution, New Mind Control and International Distribution. The idea was abandoned after the two companies failed to come to an agreement until, obviously, 2003. So, I, d I just, I don't know why, I've just never gone back to watch this one. Never gone back to watching this one. So, what what's the chat saying? My name's not Earl, Jason versus Carrie. Baby Ice, New Blood was also a stinker. The gruff, ironic that Jason's arch nemesis is the sole reason he is brought back from the dead, yes. Um, my name is not Earl. Also, Bernie from um, Weekend at Bernie's plays the annoying therapist guy. The gruff, part seven is okay. I wasn't too keen on it when I last watched it. I should watch it again. I remember a girl having psychic powers, Jason being underwater. Jason's face looks pretty crap in this compared to the last few films, but not as bad as part eight. Brown account, this wasn't very good in my opinion. One of the worst in the series. Again, it's one that I remember watching and being like, okay, it's a bit different, whatever. But I've just, I've never been inclined to go back and watch it, and it's been a very long time since I've seen it. Again, I'm going to have to do a Friday watch, watch, uh, Friday watch marathon at some point. Or watch a couple of films each day for a week, something like that. I don't know. That might be a bit torturous. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I remember when his mask breaks off near the end, it looks fucking ridiculous. It does look ridiculous. Um, I think that might be the center image um, on the stream. So right under the MOH logo, I think that might be what his face looks like from memory. Uh, the gruff in the chat said that Jason does look cool with a zombie look, just didn't like his face makeup. I just I don't remember a lot about this one, to be honest, guys. Don't remember a lot about this one. Now, what I do want to talk about 
because this is film is notable because it's the first film in the franchise to feature Kane Hodder as Jason. Now, as I've mentioned before, I'm not a huge Friday fan. I like Friday films. I like them more than the Hellraiser films. Um, but it's not my go-to series, right? And Kane Hodder is one of the most famous Jasons. Like, everyone loves Kane Hodder. His portrayal as, as Jason. I'm not... And this is... A, it might look, be looked at as a loaded question, but what's so good about it? Because, like, I'm a huge Halloween fan. I love a lot of the films. I'm not really that fussed with a lot of the Michael Myers. Some of them look bulkier than others, their appearance. Normally, it's the mask that either looks good or shit or shitter or shittest. Um, but I don't necessarily go, oh, that, that actor didn't really walk right like Michael. That actor didn't tilt his head right like Michael. I don't look at it that minutia. So what is it that people love about Kane Hodder as Jason Voorhees? Because to me... I didn't necessarily notice much difference in the portrayal, and I know that he is beloved as as Jason. But the reason that I find that interesting to bring up is because is he not in some of the worst Jason films? <laughs> is it not in the tail end of the series when reviews generally or critical opinion was was getting lower? I know, I know. When we get to Freddy versus Jason, one of the talking points was people being upset that we didn't have. Kane Hodder back as um as Jason they went with this big tall guy but someone educate me what is it that people love about Kane Hodder as Jason considering the you know he was in arguably he was in the most ones I get that but he was in arguably some of the worst ones obviously he's not writing the scripts and whatnot he's just pretend a character um yeah new blood didn't do anything for me and this one, I only actually watched part eight in the last year or two. Jason Takes Manhattan, part eight, released in 1989. People generally hate this film. I thought it was all right. I thought it was a bit dumb. I thought it was very dumb. But I didn't mind it. I mean, yes, he's only in Manhattan for 10 minutes. It's on a boat most of the time, but he he kills someone with a guitar. I thought that was great. Um, I don't think this is one of the best films in the franchise, but I didn't think it was as bad as as people make out. Um, it was directed by written directed by Rob Heaton, starring uh, Jensen Daggett, Scott Reeves, Peter Mark Richmond, and Kane Hodder reprising the role as Jason. Set several years after the New Blood, the film follows Jason as he stalks a group of high school graduates on the ship en route to New York City. It is the final film in the series to be distributed by Paramount Pictures in the United States until 2009, with the subsequent instalment being distributed by New Line Cinema. Uh, it grossed $14.3 million on a budget of 5 to $5.5 million, making it the poorest performing film in the series to date. It received overwhelmingly negative reviews from what critics saw as weak humour, unintelligent plotting, and a failure to effectively deliver on the promise of its subtitle. Um, so what we see in the, in the chat. So, Baby Ice. It's all in the name. People love the word Kane. It's gotta be Kane! My name's not Earl. Heavy breathing and turns his body different. I don't know, Tesla. <laughs> Uh, Baby Eyes, part eight stunk in the first 80 minutes, but when he hits Manhattan, it turns to Oscar material. My name's not Earl. Seven is hor uh, Eight is horrible. Uh, my name's not Earl, says. Uh, 
The gruff old man, part eight, is bloody awful, and I remember as he knocks someone's head off, and, and again, his face looks rubbish. I have never liked this film, even as a kid. Round the can. Now I've got the I'm on a boat song from Lonely Island stuck in my head. I'm on a boat. With T-Pain. Shouty. <laughs> So, sorry about that, Fran. <laughs> well, that's a good song. I like The Lonely Island. Um, and if people like The Lonely Island haven't watched it yet, pop star Never Stop Never Stopping is currently on uh, Prime and Sky. And Netflix, maybe, I think. Give it a watch if you've not seen it. It's one of their best things. Anyway, so... There's not much to talk about on this one. Jason goes on a boat and he ends up in Manhattan uh, killing... You know, uh, it's... I didn't mind it so much. Again, I was probably on my phone a lot of the time. I can't remember too much about the plot. But when is there much of a plot? Let's be honest. Um, so after the disappointing box office of Friday Part 7, director John Carl um, Boakler began to develop a follow-up which reprised the character of Tina Shepard again facing off against Jason Voorhees after her release from an insane asylum. Meanwhile, La Park Lincoln, who had portrayed Tina, co-wrote with her husband an alternative screenplay which had Tina working as a psychologist for troubled girls. Lincoln's co-star in The New Blood, Kevin Spertas, also wrote a screenplay which recast the events of The New Blood into a long dream with his character as the killer. Fuck off. Paramount, however, opted to assign the project of a follow-up to writer-director Rob Heaton marking his, di- uh, his debut. A former employee of Universal Studios, Heaton strove to devise a screenplay in which the antagonist, Jason Voorhees, would travel outside of the setting of Camp Crystal Lake, the primary location of the previous seven films. The biggest thing we could do with Jason is to get him out of that stupid lake where he'd been hanging out. One of Heaton's original ideas was to set the film solely aboard a cruise ship with Jason hiding in the lower levels, described by Heaton as a little bit of Das Boot and a little bit of Aliens, with a claustrophobic feeling, storm at sea and that sort of stuff. The alternative concept was to place Voorhees in a large city, such as New York. Hedden commented everything about New York was going to be completely exploited and milked. There was going to be a tremendous scene in the Brooklyn Bridge, uh, a boxing match in Madison Square Garden. Jason would go through department stores, he'd go through Times Square, he'd go into a Broadway play, he'd even crawl on top of the Statue of Liberty and dive off. Ultimately, after receiving approval from Paramount Pictures of both concepts, he decided to combine them with the first act of the film occurring aboard a ship, and the second on the streets of Manhattan. This decision was mainly due to budgetary restrictions from Paramount, as filming exclusively in New York City cost more than the studio was willing to spend. In addition to the shift in setting, Hedden um, stated he wanted to examine the character of Jason Voorhees as a child, which appears in the film in the form of hallucinations experienced by Rennie Wickham. I forgot about that. Um, To conceal the fact that it was Friday the 13th film, the initial working script uh, circulated under the title Ashes to Ashes. Not much more to say on that. Part 8, there you go. People don't like it. Um, Now, again... I hadn't seen this film, this part, for a very long time, ever. I'd never seen this until recently. So, as mentioned, I had a box set, part one to eight, the Paramount films. Um, And I remember seeing part ten, which we'll talk about shortly. I don't think I saw it in the cinema. I might have done, I can't remember. I think I saw it when it came out on DVD. uh, Because I wasn't really that, I didn't really know a lot about the uh, Friday the 13th, Jason films, up to that point. But when I'd, uh, I'd picked up this box, it only had parts one to eight, and I realised because the next film was part of New Line. But for whatever reason, it wasn't really that available in, in the UK. It was available, but quite expensive. You know, not like you could pick it up on Prime or whatever. It seemed to always be 
secondhand or more expensive. So about a year or two ago, I thought, you know, I'm just going to rent it. I'm just going to rent it on Prime and see what it's like. I'd heard terrible things. I'd heard it's the worst. I knew that Jason dies in the first like five minutes or gets blown up, basically. And this whole concept of his heart being passed from one person to another. I thought it sounded terrible. But do you know what? I don't mind this. I thought it was actually kind of dumb horror fun. So maybe I'm just in the minority when it comes to the Friday films that I like some of the worst ones. Or I didn't mind some of the worst ones. I don't know. Part six is still my favorite. But... Jason Goes to Hell, The Final Friday is the 1993 American Supernational slash directed by Adam Marcus, written by Jay Hewley and Dean Laurie and produced by Sean S. Cunningham. It's the ninth installment of the Friday the 13th franchise and stars John DeLamay, Carrie Keegan, Stephen Williams and Kane Hodder as Jason Voorhees, reprising his role from the first two films. It's the first film series to be distributed by New Line Cinema. Set after the events of Friday the 13th Part 8, the film follows Jason's spirit as it possesses various people to continue his killings after his death. In order to resurrect himself, Jason must find and possess a member of his bloodline, but he can also be permanently killed by one of his surviving relatives using a magical dagger. I mean, you can't critique it too much because he's a zombie. He was brought back to life by uh, a lightning hitting a rod in his body. You know, when we've had uh, psychokinetic abilities and stuff. We've got Denison's in hell here, dragging him down to hell. We've got Jason's glove arriving from hell to pull his face down. Um, what do we think of this one? What do we think of this one? So Fran can't talk about part eight. That explains why this is a mess, a hybrid of two shoddy films. Um, the gruff... Oh yeah, I forgot about the stupid hallucination too. My name is not Earl. Jason goes to New Line. Yes. Yeah, part nine was tricky to get hold of. You didn't see it around much, says the gruff. I don't mind this film. It's got some good gore. I appreciate something different. Baby, this wasn't bad, and the one I remember the most, thanks to the crowd of the theatre, we had a blast. The gruff, Jason has a really strange look in this one. I think his mask looks weird. Yeah, it's kind of fused into his head, and his head's been made a bit more bulbous, like even more so than the previous films. I get they're kind of degrading the mask over time, and... Obviously, the mask does change from some films to have like blue marks to red marks, different sort of positions. But this is the one. He's looking a bit bulkier. The mask is kind of been fused into his head more so than ever. Um, but yeah, this did fifteen point nine million on a three million budget. Um, producer Sean S. Cunningham originally conceived an action horror film which Jason would battle Freddy Krueger. So again, they're kind of pushing this. Paramount, who had released the previous eight Friday the 13th films, negotiated with New Line over the rights to the series, but ultimately granted New Line rights to Jason Voorhees' character, but retained control of the Friday the 13th title. New Line placed Cunningham's idea for a Freddy vs. Jason film on hold, prompting him to generate a different script to precede that plotline. Cunningham's original idea would later manifest as Friday the 13th, oh, sorry, as Freddy vs. Jason 2003. The studio courted John McIntyre and Toby Hooper to helm the film. Adam Marcus, who served as an apprentice for editor Susan E. Cunningham during post-production of Friday Part 2, was brought in by Cunningham to direct the film under the notion that he must remove Jason's hockey mask. Cunningham has de denied ever telling Marcus to find a way to get rid of that fucking mask. However, Marcus rebukes Cunningham's claim and insists that he did not have that level of creative control. Cunningham also demanded that the events of Friday the 13th Part 8 be ignored. The filmmaker's initial pitch saw Elias Voorhees, Jason's brother, digging up his body at the beginning of the film, eating his heart, taking on his supernatural powers and embarking on a similar killing spree. 
Jay Hugely was hired to flesh out Marcus's ideas into a script. According to Marcus, he had originally written the character of Stephen Freeman to be Tommy Jarvis from part four to six, but New Line Cinema only owned the rights to Jason and not Tommy, and so could not legally use that character at the time. Marcus also explains that New Line Cinema did not own the Friday the 13th title, explaining why the film titles after Jason Takes Manhattan did not include the franchise name up to the 2009 remake. Ooh, Hughley's draft was reportedly a hodgepodge of a script and unintelligible. Cunningham hired Dean Laurie to scrap Hughley's work and write a completely new script within four days, removing Elias Voorhees from the story as Laurie felt that Jason must be the central character. So there's a lot going on here. There's a lot going on here. But yeah, like, like I say, I think it was different. I liked it. I, you know, I didn't think it was bad. Didn't think it was bad. Uh, my name is not L. Jason Goes to Hell and Freddy's Dead are both on the same boat with Jason, lol. Not a fan of Nine. Um, my name is not L. Something tells me Sean and the director had a falling out. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't think they got on. In the looks of this, don't think they were all that, uh, all that close. Um, oh, we almost got Laurie Holden playing um, Jessica Kimball, but Sean Cunningham overruled them and pushed for Carrie Keegan instead. No, it doesn't look like she's done much else. Well, she's not highlighted as being able to click on here, so I'd, I don't know the deal with getting Carrie Keegan, but yeah, I mean, I like Laurie Holden. She'd have been quite cool in this. Um, so, oh, there's a retrospective insight in here. In November 2017, Adam Marcus revealed that an overlooked plot point in the movie is that Jason Voorhees is actually connected to the Evil Dead franchise. The filmmaker stated, Pamela Voorhees makes a deal with the devil by reading from the Necronomicon to bring back her son. This is why Jason isn't Jason. He's Jason plus the Evil Dead. And now I can believe that he can go from a little boy that lives in a lake to a full-grown man in a couple of months to zombie Jason, to never being able to kill this guy. That, to me, is way more interesting as a mashup, and Sam Raimi loved it. It's not like I could tell New Line my plan to include the Evil Dead because they don't own the Evil Dead. So it had to be an Easter egg, and I did focus on it. Um, there's a whole scene that includes the book, and I hoped people would get it and could figure out that's what I'm up to. So yes, in my opinion, Jason Voorhees is a deadite. He's one of the Evil Dead. Uh, in the December 2017 podcast on the Cinema Toast Crunchcast, Marcus revealed Creighton Duke's intended backstory. Teenage Creighton was out on Crystal Lake with his girlfriend. Jason capsized their small boat and pulled the girl down into the lake. Creighton tried to save her but could not. She was never seen again. Creighton vowed revenge and from that moment on he spent his life in the study in pursuit of Jason. He became a bounty hunter just to fund his work in taking down his nemesis. Um. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. I think this is. I think this is different. It's fine. It's fine. We move on uh, now to a bit of a gap, a nine-year gap, into a film some people love. I think it's got some okay kills in it, and that's it, in my opinion. Um, and that is part ten, Jason X. Uh, science fiction slasher from 2001 directed by Jim Isaac written by Todd Farmer starring Alexa Doog Lisa Ryder Chuck Campbell and Kane Hodder in his fourth and final cinematic appearance as Jason Voorhees tenth film the first one since 1993's Jason Goes to Hell the Final Friday in the film Jason is cryogenically frozen for 445 years and awakens in 2455 after being found by a group of students whom he subsequently stalks and kills one by one while other films in the franchise approach Jason as a human serial killer or an undead monster, 
This movie views him through a science fiction lens, referring to his inability to die as regenerative power that can be studied and perhaps replicated, and then has him transformed by future technology into a cyborg. This cyborg incarnation has been called Jason X in Tyne Media, but is also often referred to by fans as Uber Jason, a nickname the art design team production crew used and which appeared in later comic books, Jason X Special and Friday the 13th, Jason vs. Jason X. When conceiving the film, Todd Farmer came up with the idea of sending Jason to space, suggesting to the studio that it was the only direction left for the series. Kane Hodder called into the Howard Stern show on May 1st, 2002, and shared, I was a little hesitant about the plot the first time I heard the story too. Jason X was theatrically released in the US on April 26th, 2002 to mostly negative reviews from critics. It grossed 17 million on a budget of 11 to 14 million. The next film in the series, Freddy vs. Jason, was released in 2003 as a crossover with Nightmare on Elm Street. So it's set between the events of The Final Friday and Jason X. So Kane Hodder did reprise his portrayal of uh, Jason in the 2017 Friday the 13th game. The game's alright, I've only played it a couple of times. Not a big multiplayer game fan, so there we go. Um... So development of Jason X began in the late 90s while Freddy vs. Jason was still in developmental hell. Freddy vs. Jason not moving forward, Jim Isaac and Sean S. Cunningham decided that they wanted another Friday the 13th film made to retain audience interest in the character. Um, it was the only pitch he gave to the studio from Todd Farmer, having suggested sending Jason into space as a means to advance the film series. Yeah... It's got, like I said, it's got some okay kills in it, but this isn't really a favourite of mine. It's very much got that early 2000s horror aesthetic, whether you like that or not. Let's have a look at the chat. Um, Baby Eyes, Jason's mother got wiped in the first one. No way she had time to find the Necronomicon. Uh, Jason X is the goat. Fran the Cannon, campy fun, dumb and some great inventive kills. A great popcorn horror. Everything is better in space, Baby I says. And my name is not Earl. Jason X has a David Cronenberg cameo. Oh, yeah. Dr. Um, Aloysius Wimmer. you got to love Cronenberg. Very weird. I've not watched too many of his films. They're not re I'm not a huge Cronenberg head. Maybe one of the future shows will be a Cronenberg show, but I'd need to see a few more of his films to really put my stamp on it. Or put his stamp on me. Um... The Gruff, Jason X, I'm not a fan of it. It looks and feels so cheap. Stupid design of making him uber and powering up. He looks crap. Yeah, it's like I say. Wasn't for me. Kevin Kellum, I don't feel like I need to see Jason X. Hey, Kev, welcome to the show. Um, guys, check out Kev, Sports Kida. Yeah, if you've not seen Jason X, I'm not going to encourage you to watch Jason X. Like it's one of the screenshots does show probably one of the best best kills in the series. He cryogenically freezes a girl's head and then smacks it on a table and it all explodes. Um, it, that's an inventive kill, but it just it's not for me. And as you can see, that the Uber Jason it's a little bit silly, a little bit silly that one. But yeah, there's not much to talk about here. Jason is caught in 2008 and goes into space. I mean, it says caught in 2008, but I mean, at the end of the previous film, he's been dragged into hell, so there's no, there's no mention of how he got out of hell. <laughs> but why would there be? So we then move on. We've only got a couple more, and we're past my initial aim to finish by 10. We move on to Freddy versus Jason. Now, we won't talk too much about this. We did talk about this last week. We We mainly talked about the production in regards to it being a Friday, oh, sorry, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street film. 
But we'll talk briefly on this because it is part of the Jason series, the Friday the 13th series. 2003 slasher, directed by Ronnie Yu, written by Damien Shannon and Mark Swift. It's a crossover between The Nightmare on Elm Street and the Friday the 13th series, being the 8th installment in the former and the 11th in the latter. The film joins the two series in a shared universe and pits the respective antagonists, Freddy Krueger and Jason Voorhees, against each other. So, yeah, we did talk about this last week. We don't need to talk too much about this. Um, some people weren't happy because um, we had a new Jason, Ken Kersinger, who I think is a very, very tall lad, played um, played the new Jason. I don't know if we've got anything here to say why they didn't bring back... Uh, let's look at the casting. Uh, so, in August 2002, Entertainment Weekly revealed Kelly Rowland and Brad Renfro were cast in the film, while Kane Hodder would reprise his role as Jason Voorhees. However, conflicting reports emerged with IGN stating the film was looking to reinvent the character, thus ditching Hodder. Yeah, the casting Jason. Da, 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 da. Cunningham disagreed with their decision, believing that Kane Hodder, who had played Jason in the previous four films, was the best choice for the role. Although Hodder received the script for Freddy vs. Jason and met with the director at New Line Executives, Yu and Matthew Barry felt that the role should be recast to fit Yu's image of Jason. Hodder said that New Line did not give him a reason for the recasting. According to Yu, however, he wanted a taller, slower, and more deliberate Jason. The role went to Ken Kersinger, a Canadian stuntman who works on Jason Takes Manhattan. You said that Kersinger was hired because he was taller than Robert Englund, who played Freddy Krueger. Kersinger is six foot five compared to the six foot three Hodder. So it's only two inches in it. Um, and you wanted a much taller actor than the five foot nine England. Kersinger believed that his experience in part eight, doubling for Hodder in two scenes, and his height helped him land the role. New Line did not cast Kersinger until they saw him on film, and his first scene was Jason walking down Elm Street. Uh, Douglas Tate played Jason in a reshot ending. Hmm, okay. Uh, so, yeah, I... Again, it wasn't a big deal to me, because I'm not really that tied to who plays the masked killer. But <laughs> him being cast because he's maybe taller, there's two inches in it, that's not going to be a huge difference. I would say. Um, hey, King is in the chat. King Huecamundo. My name's not else. Kane wasn't tall enough. Oh, yeah, but I mean, two inches isn't much, is it really? Um, Evil Test Tuesdays, of course. Found the can. This is set before Jason X and is how Jason gets resurrected from hell by Freddy. Uh, Kevin Kellum, Freddy the Friday the 13th, part eight, the new blood with the telekinetic final girl has a wild third act. Jason takes my hands and let down, but it could have been so much more. Yeah, he goes mental in um in part part seven, the new blood. I, I don't I wasn't a massive fan of his zombie makeup when his mask breaks off, but uh yeah. And yeah, a lot of people don't like part eight. Jason takes Manhattan. I didn't mind it, but you know, it was much better when he was in Manhattan. But yeah, the hallucination elements I had completely forgotten about and they were absolute shite. My name's Noel. Freddy vs. Jason is a great. I do love it. The CGI those crap. Agreed. I, I enjoy this film. I like the whole thing of Freddy appearing as uh, Pamela to trick Jason into working for him to a degree. And Jason is almost, while he is, it has one of my favourite kills in any of the Friday films. The very first, I think it's the very first one, where Jason appears, he stabs that that dickhead jock through the back with machete and then grabs the bed and then folds him up like an accordion. 
I, I remember when I first saw that, I'd never seen anything like that. And I remember just literally, I was sat in my friend's loft with a few of my friends, maybe having some drinks. I'll just say having some drinks. And that scene happened because I think I picked up the DVD. And I was just like, what? That, that was crazy. Um, as we discussed in last week's show, the CGI is very dated, and it was dated then. But as a as a fun popcorn film, our last time probably seeing Robert Englund as 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 Freddy, and Jason is kind of almost a anti hero, although he's a complete murderer. I liked it, and it's got Monica Keenan in it as well. She's uh, Monica Keenan, I should say. Um, so yeah, that's. There's not really much too much to talk about because we talked about it last week. So we will end with the Platinum Dunes 2009 American slasher film, the Friday the 13th remake. Directed by Marcus Nispel, written by Damien Shannon and Mark Swift from a screen story by Shannon Swift and Mark Wheaton. It's a reboot of the Friday the 13th franchise, which began in 1980 and is the 12th installment uh, Nispel also directed the 2003 remake of Toby Hooper's Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I enjoyed that as well. Uh, while Sharon the Swift wrote the screenplay for the uh, Freddy vs. Jason film from 2003, the film was produced by Platinum Dreams and Crystal Lake Entertainment and distributed by New Line Cinema and Paramount Pictures. It stars Jared Padalecki, Daniela, Danielle Panabaker, Aaron Yu, Amanda um, Raggetti, Travis Von Winkle and Derek Mears, um, and follows Clay Miller as he searches for his missing sister, Whitney, who is captured by Jason Voorhees while camping in Woodland at Crystal Lake. It was originally conceived as an origin story, but the project evolved into a reimagining of the first four films. The character Jason Voorhees was redesigned as a lean, quick killer with a backstory that allows the viewer to feel sympathy for him, but not enough that he would lose his menace. In keeping with the tone of the film, Jason Mask was recreated from a mold of the original Mask using Part 3, though there are subtle changes. Uh, Friday the 13th includes some of Henry Manfredi's musical score from the previous films because the producers recognise its iconic status. So this made $92.7 million on the $19 million budget. So it is the, uh, it's the second highest grossing film in the franchise after Freddy vs. Jason. Um... I mean, what do we think on this one? I, I enjoy it. I know one of my friends who's a big Friday the 13th fan hates the remake. I thought it was fine. It had a little elements of humour. Had some good kills in this one. Doesn't someone get set on fire in their sleeping bag or in their tent? Memory serves. Um, he, does he shoot arrows? or someone shooting arrows? And he kills some guy in a garage? I remember bits and pieces. A lot of the films do tend to blend into one uh for me um <laughs> what we see in the chat uh i can't remember the remakes as baby ice um king of recommando uh it was an early noughties film cgi got good after 2011 i think fair enough around the can i like the reboot i've watched this quite a few times at the graph i've only seen the remake one time that was at the cinema i can't remember anything about it my name is not all the remake people i people like i hated it jason takes a hostage jason is not leatherface i guess that's a very valid um critique the whole hostage element i guess it kind of makes sense to a degree because there's this moment in part two where the girl is pretending to be jason's mother by using his sweater and it almost falls him for a bit and this is kind of remaking parts one to four to a degree as, as it said and doesn't he have a doesn't she have a locket or something there's something she has that uh jason identifies with his mother 
So yeah, I guess some like the old underground tunnel stuff was a bit leather-facey, so that's actually a good point. Uh, my name is not Earl, but I didn't mind that. I mean, like I say, not too tied to the franchise. So changes and introductions like that don't matter too much to me. But um, yeah, some odd decisions there, but I thought it had some good moments. The finale was cool, some cool kills in it as well. Um, and it was successful, which is odd that it's then kind of been left in in limbo this was 2009 was it 2007 2009 2009 um and where does that leave us for the future because at the moment there's been a huge issue with the rights to friday the 13th which is why we've not had a uh another game because the, the first game was fairly successful it's a bit of a janky game but um why have we not had a new Friday film for a while? So we'll talk about this and then we'll we'll start wrapping things up. So shortly after the 2009 reboot's theatrical release, producers Brad Fuller and Andrew Form expressed an interest in producing another film, citing the enjoyment they had working on the reboot. Um, in October 2009, Warner Brothers Pictures planned to release the Friday the 13th sequel on August 13th, 2010. But on December 10th, the studio pulled the sequel from the planned release slot and listed it as TBD. Uh, Warner Brothers also announced that Damien Shannon and Mark Swift were penning the sequel. In 2010, Fuller announced on his Twitter page that the sequel to the 2009 remake was no longer in the works, declaring it dead not happening. In a later interview, Fuller explained that the 2009 reboot was the result of a joint effort between Paramount and New Line Cinema, as both owned portions of the Friday the 13th franchise. With financial problems, both studios were limiting the films they produced each year, opting to produce films carrying lower risks and higher rewards. Accordingly, the companies put Friday the 13th Part 2 on hold in hopes that they would move forward with the next instalment when the economy bounced back. Form explained that neither studio would walk away from the sequel's production to allow the other to move forward as the primary producing house, each studio concerned that its players would look like idiots should the sequel perform well without its involvement. Form and Fuller also mentioned the Friday the 13th sequel may be a 3D film should it ever get the green light. So... We've got a few more bits and bobs here, but I'll kind of skip through them. So the working title was Friday the 13th Part 13. Platinum Dunes was looking for someone to play a young Jason Voorhees, and production was to begin in March, slating for an October 13th, 2017 release date. On February 6th, Paramount officially cancelled the project, and Paramount signed the planned October release date to its then-upcoming film Mother. I hated the film Mother, by the way. I saw it on a date. And we were both like, what the fuck did we just watch? And then when I read up on it and what it's about, I was like, oh, I really don't like this even more. Not interested. Um, on October 10th, Shannon Swift revealed the title of their proposed sequel, Friday the 13th, Camp Blood, The Death of Jason Voorhees. Which I would say is a bit of a long title for a film. Either call it just Camp Blood or The Death of Jason Voorhees. But you've already had the final Friday and all that, yeah, whatever. Um, the rise of the franchise should be reverted to New Line Warner Brothers in 2018. Victor Miller, who wrote the original Friday the 13th screenplay, asserted that Horror Inc. derived its current copyright to the screenplay from Miller's transfer of copyrights to Horror Inc.'s predecessor in interest, The Manny Company. Miller sent a notice of termination to Horror Inc. on January 26, 2016, purportedly reclaiming his rights to the screenplay and the content contained therein through termination of the transfer of rights he had formerly made to The Manny Company. Original film producer Sean S. Cunningham claims that Miller wrote the screenplay for Friday the 13th as a work made for hire for the Manny Company. Under copyright law, an employer is considered the statutory author and copyright holder if a work is made in the employee's scope of employment. 
If, as Cunningham contends, Miller wrote the screenplay as the Manny Company's employee, he never held a copyright to the screenplay to transfer or reclaim. A lawsuit seeking the party's declaration of rights was filed in the federal court in Connecticut. On September 28, 2018, Miller won the rights against Cunningham. Cunningham appealed. The appeal was, with, with, was withdrawn due to technical reasons and then reinstated by the deadline of April 12th the following year. In October 2018, LeBron James and his production company Spring Hill Entertainment alongside Vertigo Entertainment were in talks to co-produce the next film. A month later, screenwriter Clint Ford started writing a prequel screenplay for the franchise titled Friday the 13th, The Beginning. What do we need a prequel for? We know the story. Uh, In July 2019, Tom McLaughlin, writer and director of Friday the 13th Part 6, Jason Lives, revealed that he authored a speculative script for a sequel titled Jason Never Dies. McLaughlin confirmed the film would have served as a direct sequel to Jason Lives, ignoring the other films in the franchise. McLaughlin also wrote another film with co-writer Jason Sweet, which is a prequel to the 1980 film titled Diary of Pamela Voorhees. On September 30th, 2021, Victor Miller won the domestic rights for the lawsuit. In an interview by Disgusting, Roy Lee, producer of The Ring and It, said that news regarding the new Friday the 13th film may be coming soon. Oh... So what have we got in the chat? <laughs> um, King, the many horror films in the early 2000s took the risk of dropping handmade movie props and putting into the CGI, which was a risk but much cheaper to do than make clay models or take time to do a large set. My name's not Earl. I guess I should give it another chance. I've only seen it twice. Um, the next one is The Ultimate Part 13. Friday the 13th, <laughs> Evil Dunks Tonight, Fran Hardner. Love it. Uh, Baby Ice, Jason Jam, starring LeBron James. <laughs> Lawsuits ruin everything on this on these films, King says. Yes, agreed. Agreed. That's where we're at currently with the Friday the 13th films. That's where we have got to. So, guys, we've done it. We've got to the end of another show, another episode of the Ministry of Horror. I do hope you've enjoyed yourself. I have uh, enjoyed you coming along for this journey. Um, I don't have plans in place for what we're going to talk about for next week's show. As as usual, I'll figure something out during <laughs> during the week or the weekend. But yeah, the twenty fifth is still earmarked as the 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 big show where I've got to have three guests on to do a horror film face off. Hopefully, it should be a lot of fun. If all goes to plan, I'm still waiting on lists uh, from the guys. Remind them a couple of times. Who knows? The plan may go out the window. I don't know, but I'm still optimistic. <laughs> It's like doing a film set trying to herd cats, basically. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure they won't be offended by me saying that. Uh two of them have worked on films with me, so they, they know they know my <laughs> they know how I am when it comes to organising stuff. But anyway, yeah, next week we'll know that talk about another franchise or another director. I don't know. We'll figure something out. Um but we'll hopefully have a review of Halloween Ends if I'm able to watch it this weekend. We shall see. It's gonna be an action packed one. I'm going to a uh, a true crime museum which has got all like serial killer stuff this weekend my sister's taken me as a late birthday present huh. Huh, you know should be interesting uh she's up for it i'm interested um you know in this this stuff she loves that stuff we we're going to be going to a, a haunted jail as well but my dad who's uh who's driving who's chauffeuring because it's quite a, a ways away with my diabetes, I have to take breaks when I'm driving. Um, so he's going to drive, so that's nice. Um, <laughs> don't worry, baby. I, Ghostbusters potentially won't be in it. Don't worry. Um, and my name is not Earl. I think I have decided I will check out The Haunting in Connecticut to Ghost of Georgia. I will check that out tonight. So 
if you're in the Discord, my name is not Earl. I'll put in some notes after I've watched it. Okay. And if you're not in the Discord, join the Discord. The 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 link should be somewhere up in the chat somewhere. <laughs> but yeah, the plan is to still do the horror film face off, and I don't imagine Ghostbusters will be in there. <laughs> well, not the Ghostbusters women version. King says <laughs> that definitely won't be in there. Um. But anyway, coming up in the week, I think Lawrence may be doing some gaming this week. Turner is the um the Bericles podcast is out this Thursday. And then obviously on Sundays, the Ministry of Slam, 7 p.m. UK time, 2 p.m. Eastern. Be sure to check it out. Uh if you haven't already, please give the stream a like. Please give the show, the MOS Network on YouTube, a subscribe. It really does help. And if you're listening to this on audio streams, uh platforms, Please give us a five-star review. It really helps. We have been hitting the um, the markets in Indonesia, India. Uh, this, this this show specifically, I know, has been hitting Turkey, Czech Republic, uh, Holland. Yeah, it's it's getting it, it, we're getting out there slowly, you know. So it's cool. It is cool. Um, I'm trying to think if I'm forgetting anything else. Memberships. If you're if you're not a member, there's some cool perks being a member. Um, the Gruff. Next week we will um, we can withhold the review for the film you've picked until you come on for a show in in a few weeks maybe. If you want to do that, because I think that would be cool as well to to talk with you while doing the review. So if you don't know, Gruff is on the champion tier. I think I, I don't know all the tiers. Lawrence set that up, um, and has been able to pick a film for review like Thor did. Uh, so both me and Lawrence have watched Funny Games. Lawrence is editing together the. Uh, the review i did initially record it as a watch along but it was an hour and a half of me just doing this because i've seen the film before so i can't i'm not going to react too much to a film i've already seen uh but i did cut out my review send that across to lawrence and he's got uh he reviewed it with um with meryl they both watched it so interested to see what they think um but yeah the gruff has picked a film i won't say it yet so we can talk about it on the show but yeah, it's up to you, Gruff. I can, uh, I can either, I can either review it on a show, or we can hold it off until we do a show with you back on. Which, if you're up for, we'll confirm in the Discord for a few weeks' time. I think October's pretty chock a block, but maybe November we can confirm. Um, and yeah, of course. Of course, I can't forget my other show. Saturday, Saturday, Sunday, just depending when I remember. Normally, if you watch the Twitch show that I do every other Friday or so, I tend to, while I'm watching the film, start putting together the uh, the thumbnail for Ministry of Dragons because I always leave it till the last minute. So if you don't know, Ministry of Dragons is a limited podcast I do with my good friend Jamie um, about the HBO show House of the Dragon. Uh, so we're on episode eight. I've not watched this week's episode yet. I believe there's another time jump. But we do that each week, and I have a lot of fun with it because me and Jamie have known each other for a very, very long time. We have to censor our humour quite a lot for the show, so I've had to add some episodes to a fair bit of editing when when one of us has said something and I've gone, I have to cut that. <laughs> um, but we have fun, so hopefully you have fun with that too. Um, Gruff says, can't wait for this week's Ministry of Dragons. I enjoyed Sunday's episode and can't wait to hear your and Jamie's thoughts on the new episode um ministry of dragons is great interesting but funny too I i'm glad i'm glad you're enjoying it we have a lot of fun we have a lot of fun doing that show too so anyway that, that is it half past ten I'm, i always talk i always talk longer than i intend to but we did have 11 films or 12 films or whatever to talk through so you know it's my own fault for picking such a bloody big franchise the next franchise we'll talk about will be the gate part one and two there we go job done two films i don't know 
that's not confirmed for next week don't worry next week maybe scream we've not done an episode on the scream films before who knows it's spooky season let's make it franchise season two not franchise sandwiches if you listen to the ministry of slam you'll know that it's not franchise sandwich network season at all anyway thank you so much guys for staying and checking the show out i'm going to jump on the credits uh again i've not updated the credits apologies if your name's missing oh speak with lawrence and get an updated list he he does all the back-end editing i'm terrible at that stuff uh so i've not updated uh what i've got on here for quite a while buzzer yes i don't have the buzzer but i do have uh uh uh, and there we go anyway take care guys and i shall see you next time ghouls and fiends goodbye